0: Everyone, welcome to Shut <laughs> show. Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey podcast. I'm joined today, and always, uh, with my not with by. I'm joined by my good friend uh, Jason Six Names, uh, <laughs> out of Bridgewater, Virginia. I thought you were going to go with Jason Six Centimeters. <laughs> no, Jason Six Names, which, which I think for today's episode just really makes sense.
1: I have been thinking, to be honest with you, about the Jason three names. And I Mm. was thinking, how are we counting them? Because it's Jason, Neil, Johnston, Yellen, but the Johnston, Yellen is hyphenated. Are we counting Johnston, Yellen as one name and Neil as one name? Or are we counting Johnston, Yellen as two names and we're not counting Neil at all?
0: No, I don't think we're counting Neil at all. It's Jason, Johnston, Yellen.
1: Okay, so that's the Jason three names.
0: Yeah, so six names today.
1: Because you got a double <laughs> my for My kid proof. is Kai four names, so here we are. Is he
0: Kai four names? He is. Anyway, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> I'll say it's good to be here. It is good to be here. It's a Sunday. I have a little mezcal in my glass. <laughs> Actually, I don't have mezcal in my glass, Jason. You know what I have? I have mezcal yes. in my hikara, which was gifted to me and one gifted to you. Uh, by uh, listener David Feldner And it is
1: absolutely
0: beautiful
1: wow. Regular listeners will remember it being brought up on the podcast uh, Also regular listeners know that Guilford is where We always say samples go to die But apparently gifts as well So whenever this came in I just received it mm-hmm. this past week Mm-hmm
0: Really? i have seen you once since it came in, twice yeah. since it came in. Yeah, I feel like you're uh, really putting a dig on me. <laughs> dig on or dig with? Dig by? <laughs> dig by. Is it a dig on, with, by?
1: <laughs> which which mescal did you you pop into your Hikara?
0: So I I did something interesting. I bought so I I think <laughs> I mentioned He does say so himself. <laughs> <laughs> I've told you this before, and I think I've told the listeners. I'm not. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it, but if if I did, you get to hear it again. And if I haven't, habili has been my favorite, um, you know, single variety of agave mm-hmm. when it comes to mezcal. And I like the habili because, regardless of who produces their mezcal using that agave, I always get this sort of. This this cucumber soda note, this fresh, sweet, vegetal kind of thing going on, and and I absolutely love it. And so I got this bottle of Habili produced by Ray Comparo, whom I also love, one of my favorite mm-hmm. producers. So I was excited, and I purchased it. I opened it, and uh, and I and I don't love it. Oh, I actually returned to it. Sorry recently. to hear that. Well, I, and I returned to it recently because um, Christopher Sebastian Seabass, Seabass. Re- reached mm-hmm. out and he was interested in some rec- recommendations of Mescal's And I think I sent him a picture of this one. And then I went <laughs> back and tasted it and, and I'm regretting having sent him that picture. Uh, but I'm hoping trying this habili in this hikara will make me enjoy the habili. So... So far, I can and tell so you. So far, on the nose, it's it's really, I'm getting this intense, almost nail polish remover note, which I am not loving hmm. at all. Hmm. So that's not normal with habanero. Yeah, no, I know. It is forty-eight point nine percent, and this one is. It was produced in November two thousand seventeen. And the lot is DS008B J.
1: Well, I, I went in a very different direction from you then, because as regular listeners of the podcast know, I am a huge fan of Papa Diablo. And they are ensemble that mm-hmm. I can only ensemble. get at Whiskey Exchange. Ensemble. You know ensemble.
2: It's pronounced Ensemble.
1: It's pronounced ensemble. ensemble. Only. Uh, I can only get it at the Whiskey Exchange, and and I have to say, I passionately love that ensemble. <laughs> see, see, having it in this in this gourd, this carved out gourd. I could just pound this, and you mentioned strength a moment ago. This uh, this Papa Diablo is forty seven point five percent and I I can see why mezcal, a lot of mezcals come in at 40% alcohol because seeing drinking it from a traditional vessel, gosh is, is I really could consume a lot of these in an afternoon.
0: Oh, interesting Yeah, I, I will tell you, after tasting it, so across the palate, that's where the cucumber soda kicks in There's cucumber soda, there's there's even a little bit of. Um, do you remember when we did the tasting with Elijah and Jess, and there was that yep, Lane mezcal that had the, uh, the pine needle note, right, the Christmas wreath mm. note, getting a little bit of that, like a little Douglas fir going on in here, and mm. now, returning to the nose, it's it's fresh now, it's it's bright. There's a lot of. Green things happening, a lot of vegetal things happening, which I really like, and I'm not getting that uh, nail polish remover. So, so yeah, this this I was nervous after the first nose, but then I tasted, and in returning to the nose, uh, it's it's made me a believer. It's made me like a mezcal that I I haven't loved. How does one clean their hikara? Does it the mescal that we're consuming just simply Yep. Keep it clean? Yep, keeps it clean. I mean, it's, it's high-octane stuff, right? Mine's 48.9, so... Um, one, one doesn't put a
1: hikara in the, the top of the dishwasher.
0: One does not simply walk into your kitchen <laughs> <laughs> and put a hikara in the dishwasher. Uh, you know, everybody knows that, that famous line from Lord of the Rings.
1: <laughs> everybody knows... Are you getting the same kind of response as me where you could just pound it you could just make it disappear early and often?
0: That's a good question, so I'm tasting a mescal that I didn't love, so i'm I'm busy just mm-hmm. exploring mm-hmm. it. Could I just pound the hell out of it
1: <laughs> right. hashtag please drink responsibly
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I bet you if I put a familiar mezcal in here, then I would. But right now, I just, I don't have that mindset of just having a sessionable mezcal, you know? I think I think part of it is is your mindset. I think you're just relaxed.
1: And I was just about to bring this up. I was going to say, to be honest with you, of an evening of an afternoon... I am more likely to reach for a Mezcal cocktail than Mm. I am to reach for a Mezcal. If I'm actually going to sit down and pour something, sit with it, consider it, Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to reach for a whiskey and and probably I'm going to reach for a single malt because Because. it's my my, my first true love. Mm -hmm. But sitting here with you, sitting in the, the presence of our listeners... I am thoroughly enjoying having a mezcal in my glass. I'm thoroughly enjoying listening to you talk about Habali talking about the ensemble. And and again, if if you haven't heard me mention Papa Diablo before, the ensemble is Espadine, Biquiché, Madre Cuiche, and Mexicano. And Mexicano is a varietal that. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. Uh-huh. And I've got a Re Campero uh, Mexicano that is so delightfully spicy. Huh. Oh, it's, oh, I, to be honest with you, I'm going to pour it after I finish this Papa Diablo.
0: Well, there you go. I, you know what? I'm going to pour after this. The There's a Clonde ensemble, but oh, it's nice. It's an ensemble of agave and sotol. Hmm. So that will be interesting. That, that'll be my next pour.
1: I'm going to circle back just for a second here. When I was talking about the, the mezcal cocktail a moment ago, mm-hmm. I've, I've been making what I like to call my Gringroni. And I've mentioned on the podcast before, but here we are at the tail end of July and it's well worth mentioning again. And it fits with what I'm drinking today, which is I take an ounce of mezcal, an ounce of Campari, and an ounce of freshly squeezed lime juice. And I just combine them in a tumbler full of ice, hmm. and I add eight to 10 drops of uh, a Japanese chili lime bitters that I have from 1821, which is a bitters company in Atlanta, Georgia that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. And I've I've used Vida in my cocktail, and that, that's my go-to. That's mm-hmm. easy peasy, straightforward summer deliciousness. And then I had a mezcal that, that a rep had given me at a, a festival when we were both pouring at, at tables and what have you. And and it was alright. It it didn't blow me away. It wasn't anything special. But I got through the bottle. <laughs> and now this summer I've been making my gringronies from Papa Diablo Espadine ah, okay. um, And 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 I poured yeah. the Espadine for you and, yep. and, and we're both such huge fans Of the ensemble But but we tried the Espadine and it's good It's a, it a fine little Espadine yeah, it's, it's
0: great, nothing to write home about But quaffable
1: See, using it in the Gringroni mm. It's making the best mm. Gringronis I've had They are So good And Oh my goodness! Sitting on my back deck of an evening after a day's work, before I make dinner, drinking—oh gosh—I should say throwing back <laughs> one of these uh, papa diablo espadine gringronis. Amazing, absolutely amazing. So, so I, you know, just as we're on this papa diablo thread, and mm-hmm. you and I had had that espadine before, I, I just wanted to share with you where I'm. Really enjoying it and when I'm ordering my papa Diablos from the whiskey exchange, I'm going to bring in another espadine when I didn't think that was going to be the
0: case so so it's interesting that you're tying do you is the name of the cocktail a name that you came up with or did you are you copying a recipe that okay no so, this is this is just a recipe I
1: started making and a name that I gave it
0: so I find it an interesting name because. When it comes to a Negroni, you've got three equal parts. Campari, gin, usually just a London Dry, and then a sweet vermouth, right? With With a little orange twist. But in this case, you're taking two of the elements out. You're taking out the gin, you're taking out the vermouth, and you're replacing it with mescal and lime juice. But if... Right? So you're you're not... So my point is, you're actually getting the drink a bit closer to, like, a, a mescal margarita, but instead of using triple sec, you're using Campari, and then a few dashes of bitters. So I just, I think, as as fun as your name is, I think you may have to change it up to, like, a Gringrita or something. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, that's not happening. But, 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 but. The thing for me with a Negroni is you ask me to think about the number one component of a Negroni and I'm yeah. going to say Campari. Yes, of course. And so for me, it's the Campari relationship. But then, and I, I've said this in the podcast, I don't make a lot of cocktails, but the cocktails that I do make, I thoroughly enjoy. I make them a lot and I tend to batch them and I store them in bottles in my refrigerator. And so when I hear three equal parts Mm -hmm. that includes Campari in a Negroni. That's that's what I was riffing off of. That's where I was sitting having the Negroni thinking, where else could I take this? You know, the grin, the gin, for you just replace it with a mezcal, boom, there's one in, one out. Easy peasy. Obviously taking a sweet vermouth and turning that into lime juice. You've really turned that around 180 degrees.
0: And so adding an equal part of lime juice, does the cocktail at any point pucker your asshole with its tartness?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But (laughs) I wouldn't be drinking if it didn't. But what I love about Campari is that as Campari dilutes, Mm. it moves from bitter to sweet. Yes it does, that is true. And so as one sits in the company of the Gringroni the sweetness starts to balance out that line but, and this is why I like it as much as I do, at the end of a work day, before making dinner, I want something to wake me up, to, to brighten me up, to give me that second wind for dinner time into evening before you know heading off to bed and so sitting at my deck in the sun under the umbrella because you know obviously i have scottish skin i'm in the shade 50 spf <laughs> umbrella above me um like that's that's a bright very warm situation yeah and so having something nice and tart that, that's a flavor profile that i
0: really really enjoy okay all right, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm more on the bitter and less on the tart. But I've made a Gringroni, mm-hmm. but I think I've done it with components. I, I, I think I did it with the wrong mezcal, but I have a bottle of the Kiki Riki Espadine. Yes. Um yep, also
1: which, a TWE. Right, also
0: a TWE one, and, and one that, that is just a great sort of any day, every day Espadine drinker. It's not going to rock your world, but... Right, it's a sessionable mezcal, but I'll I'll give that a a go in the green gringroni.
1: You know that old joke about there's a hole in my glass. Given that this is the first time we're using the hikara, does it need to be treated? Because I feel like it has taken a portion of my mezcal before I could drink it.
0: So this is one thing that I <laughs> that I think David Feldner had said <laughs> in his. And his little note to us,
2: said that oh, you know, oh, the, no, uh-huh.
0: which was basically you know enjoy the hikara. It's it's the one, it's the one um, drinking vessel that that also drinks along with you, right? Yeah, it's that thirsty taking, little bugger. It is right. It it is absorbing some of the mezcal. So so listen, I'm about to grab another bottle of mezcal, but but I'm glad that we brought up mezcal. And I'm glad we brought up Mescal because of our guest today, who's Bruce Russell, who in our previous conversations, you know, or I should say, in most of the conversations we've had with Bruce, we end up finding ourselves talking about Mescal. He has a similar love Correct. and passion for the spirit that we do.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and also, you know, to what we would started talking about earlier about that camaraderie. The company mm. And And hanging out with him And, and drinking You know Bourbons but, but also drinking Mezcal with him Yeah You know it, it, It's wonderful It's it's a great it's, it's a great excuse To pour some Fun things yeah. I'm actually Now that we're talking about it, I'm actually going to pour Ooh. What I took to Kentucky Ooh. To pour for him ah. And Ryan Alves ah. at, at Justin's House of Bourbon And you have a bottle of this
0: I do What,
1: what was the agave
0: again? Oh Hold well on, He walked away.
1: Sorry, my, my mezcal shelf is now across my office. It's not just behind me anymore.
0: What, but, uh, so my bottle's downstairs, so I'll have to run and get yeah. it. But w- what was the... Uh, I, I remember it was de mojo, which means there was the agave had gotten a bit moldy. Yeah. But what was the actual agave itself?
1: It is quiché, Karwinski, to be precise.
0: Karwinski which is a a combination
1: of of wild and semi-cultivated quiche, a karwinski
0: okay all right um give me one second jason i'm gonna go grab my bottle
1: yeah this this hikara is now it's not quite dry but it's on its way to being dry oh shit holy fucking shit oh oh that's a horse of a different color it is until the finish, and it's very recognisable on the finish. But holy moly, that first drink of it, that's not like drinking it from a spade ram.
0: Mmm, that's interesting. Ooh. So now that I have my bottle, what, what should I expect? Tasting this uh, Cuiche de Mojo.
1: Oh, I'm not going to lead the witness. I'm going to leave you to explore it for yourself.
0: Man. Man. Oh, manishavats.
1: So, I will say though, but by, by the time it gets to the finish it gets very tropical but also very grassy, very fresh.
0: Mm. Would you say yeah, that this is uh, a mescal for Isla lovers? Not because it's smoky, but because there's a, a general funkiness to it?
1: Not in particular, no. All right. Fair I'm afraid to spend time talking because I'm I'm watching my Hikara drink it.
0: <laughs> so, how about this? How about you and I sit back, listen to our conversation with, with Bruce and enjoy our uh, our mezcal. However, before we do, I need to tell the listeners something. The way this interview starts is kind of unusual because you and I had gotten done with Bruce select, selecting some casks, right? We picked a twelve year old, and then an eight year old. And so the eight year old is from from a warehouse we've not picked before, and, and we'll release details more details about our picks at a later date. But but what was interesting? Isn't it nine? No, it's eight. It's currently eight. It'll be nine in like October or something.
1: Oh, okay, that's the part. That's the part.
0: And so. And so we had just gotten done selecting the, these two casks. And, and then we're just sitting outside in front of the warehouse just having a conversation, having a whiskey conversation. And, and I said, you know what, hold on, let me grab the mics. And then I, I mic'd us all up. And the conversation just sort of <laughs> keeps going. <laughs> right there's there's no real like hey Bruce so welcome back to the podcast kind of a thing, the, the conversation just sort of picks up, and so I just want to let our listeners know that when once we go over, you're actually hearing the conversation maybe forty five minutes into it, but there's also a, I know we recorded over an hour and forty five minutes of a conversation how much gets in at the end uh, I haven't edited that part yet so we'll see. But it was a long and wonderful, absolutely wonderful conversation with, with Bruce about bourbon and about single barrel picks and about, you know, COVID issues and, and, and things like that. Like we really, we really ran the gamut as, as far as the conversation went.
1: Yeah. and It was interesting to me in the moment... And one of the things we're we're often most proud about with our interviews is that they're just chats. They're not Q&A sessions. It's just people hanging out. But there's often a direction and there's often aspects we want to get to. In having somebody on the podcast for a second time, and, and in those rare occasions we've had somebody back for a third time or mm-hmm. or even a fourth time, it's even more conversational than the first time, and that was my recollection of this conversation was just us chatting, it was just, like, just chatting. Was,
0: yeah I mean of course you're asking questions, <laughs> but you ask questions in normal conversations right this was it was just a conversation, and you know it was it was such a pleasure meeting Bruce a few years back, and then you have a conversation, then you have some drinks together, then you hang out again, you have another conversation. And it's just like you know, three buddies getting together to talk about whiskey, which was which was really nice.
1: Well, and as much as we're there for wild turkey bourbon, he's he's the Russell's rye guy, yeah, that right? Is. Yeah. But as you mentioned a moment ago, we're also not in this portion of the interview, but in hanging out with them, we're talking mezcal, we're talking rum. Like there's a whole world of spirits that we. Discuss Mm -hmm. in any time we're hanging out with them. And I always enjoy and appreciate that little kind of difference maker Mm. in people Mm -hmm. uh, that we hang out with because it just adds to the fun. It's all just fun.
0: Yep, yep, agreed. Uh, So let's hand it over to Bruce. Then when we come back, we'll have a bit of news to share. We actually got a Facebook message that I want to read to people as well. And who knows what other surprises may may be lying on the other side of this interview?
3: After I've listened to a lot of your all stuff before, and um, one thing I really like about most of the stuff you all do is that you all are friendly enough with the people you interview that. They tell, like, there's good stories, and they tell probably a little more than they normally would. But I know because I've done some of these with you all. There's a few more minutes of some other stuff that probably didn't make it. It's the real good stuff. You can always kind of tell, like, oh, he was feeling good during that interview. I bet he said something. Yeah. There is
0: actually, we have, we have maybe f- 10 minutes with you where we're just tasting mezcal together. Oh, yeah. And it's the it's the mezcal that, that we, we put in a wild turkey barrel. And it was just that conversation, and we had said, all right, let's 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 put that in a
3: podcast. And I don't think we ever did.
1: Yeah, we haven't done a mezcal-focused
3: thing no. that we were
1: intending, but we always have plans.
3: I don't know, one of my childhood friends, uh, Ryan, had got him a bottle of that, and I think he might have got the bottle from you. He did get the bottle from me. Um, yeah. And my buddy is so ecstatic. Uh he loves it. He's in love with that stuff. He just discovered Mascall, though, here oh, okay. in the past okay. year or two, and that's mm-hmm. become his new thing. Oh. Um, but I owe that buddy a lot of love. Shouts out to Clay, uh, <laughs> high school buddy of mine, um, who now lives in Louisville, where I live. and um, He was the first one in my friend group that recognized uh, that what Jimmy and Dad did was like super cool mm. um, and that the whiskey was better than average. Yeah. Um so of course we were all twenty one when we all started <laughs> to drink whiskey. Uh I love uh, the disclaimer up yeah, front. Oh it's yeah. really good. Um <laughs> should yes. we add in hashtag please drink responsibly? Has- <laughs> our- yeah, <laughs> yeah, hashtag drink responsibly, <laughs> hashtag I'm party safe. Um, <laughs> and uh and at a uh, earlier age than the rest of us, when we were all, what I told you all, we were trying to drink handles of Heaven Hill, white-labeled, six-year-old, bonded. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I mean, I grew up in Lawrenceburg, so people here were drinking what they called Irkin Jerkin Mountain Dew, e Brandy, or Mad Dog. And, like, that's what a lot of the younger people were drinking. Yeah, yeah. And Clay was like, your dad makes rare breed what are you doing? You know, <laughs> stop drinking Kentucky gentleman with Coke. He makes rare breed. One-on-one is good. Uh-huh. We're like, shut up, Clay, you know, as we're drinking Boone's Farm or whatever it was, peach schnapps, you know, whatever. Uh, as, you know, a, a young consumer of alcohol, it just doesn't taste like alcohol, so you think it's good? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he knew. Uh, and he has like a bottle, I think we gave him for his graduation, yeah. and another bottle for his wedding that he's just kind of kept. Uh, and always one of my dad's favorite buddies um, Not only because he's Friends with his mom and stuff They grew up together But uh, he always was like Yeah, he knows what's up yeah. <laughs> There,
0: There's always this thing You know, I, I always hear this pushback On Wild Turkey And the pushback is That's what my dad drank yeah. That's what my grandfather drank For you was there pushback on it? Like, that's what my dad made. That's, that's what my grandfather made. Like
3: a little bit. Um, yeah. and not as the, like the same type of thing. Like, cause I think a little bit of that comes from, and I've heard that a lot, not from my generation, but the generation right before me. And then dad's generation, yeah. the baby boomers, yeah. um, that I, you hear a lot from them. And was it Gen X in between me and the baby boomers. Yeah, that's, that's us. Here. That's you all. Yeah. Um, that I don't want to drink when my dad drank. Yeah. Um, that's changed a little bit. I think with millennials and, and Gen Z folks, it it was different for me. I didn't want to drink it. Not because that's like what they did. It's just what they did was kind of just like boring. It's what everybody does in Lawrenceburg. Everybody works at distilleries (laughs) or, or you work for, you know, a Florida tile or you make the buttons, uh, at the factory or what you're working at one of the factories around here. And there's nothing really different between to me at that time. Like, Oh, it's just whiskey. Who cares? It's what everybody in Lawrenceburg does. It just wasn't a big deal. But I never like only drank beer, vodka, whatever, because that's what dad drinks. And I'm going to be a rebel. Yeah. Uh, And pretty early on, like probably 16 or 17, I wasn't drinking, of course. Of course. Of course. But uh, I knew that the whiskey stuff was cool because Jimmy was cool to me. And that's one thing that I've heard Mm. a lot of my peers uh, say or uh, people much younger than me now. Um, which is crazy. There's people like, way younger than me that drink, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'll, I'll see like you know people in their early and mid twenties be like, "No, my granddad is cool. Yeah, like yeah. he drank. My dad is cool. He drinks good stuff. He wears cool clothes. He has nice boots. Yeah. I want to wear those things. <laughs> uh, you know, I want a nice pair of uh, Levi jeans and a nice mm-hmm. pair of Red Wing boots and a nice mm-hmm. Pendleton shirt and, and drink some Wild Turkey whiskey. <laughs> it's like that stuff is cool again." uh and so I, I think for me it wasn't that but I can see why people kind of fell into that mm. uh, Dad says a lot that his generation was a generation that they wanted to change everything, yeah, you know it was um and it was a, a one of the first generations anti everything yeah a- anti the man anti yeah. the establishment anti war you know just anti status quo they realized that the world probably needed to change. Mm. And I've been lucky enough To grow up in a world That changed a lot And everybody Has it much better And so We're able I think to just kind of We're lucky enough To just look at stuff For what it is And say Oh this whiskey Is actually really good You know I don't have to be concerned With what these other people Are saying Mm -hmm. This whiskey is awesome I probably didn't really Come around on it though Until later than people think I didn't I didn't really get into whiskey Until I was probably In my mid-twenties Right before I started Working for wild turkey did i start to realize how cool this stuff was so at the start it it was just it was just a job with the family it was just a thing you do yeah um because before that i was giving tours and stuff here helping out around as much as i could at the distillery just doing whatever they asked me to do which is mostly just sit in the visitor center because we'd Mm. give like two tours a day but uh yeah it was just a thing i drank because it had access to it Um, it wasn't, I didn't realize exactly how I was under the assumption. Everybody made whiskey the way we did. Mm -hmm. Of course, everybody just seals at low proofs or took the barrels at low proofs. Jimmy says, that's the way you do it. (laughs) Well, it turns out, no, they weren't. (laughs) Uh, My grandpa said, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Uh, because that's, that's how I based everything off of is, well, you know, I call him Mimi. So it'd be Mimi said this and he said, that's the way Elmer did it. And Booker did it. And Parker does it. And Lincoln did it but then when I asked him why, cause that's the way it is. Okay. That's a good <laughs> enough answer for me. And then it comes to find that that's not the way it is. That's mm. what he thinks. And not to say that the other people were making bad whiskey, it was just different than what we did. And when I really started to get into, um, wanting to learn about the tours and stuff, mm. there was a young guy at the time. He's around my age. Uh, he might still work for beam. This guy named Daniel Paulus who, uh, gave tours here. One of the best, if not the best tour guide we've ever had here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he like, gave a shit about his job In a way that I didn't even Yeah a- And huh. Made me want to get into it I mean uh, A little bit of it Was just a competitive side to me I grew up playing sports I grew up being competitive From everything I played football Basketball I was on the academic team Like yeah. I loved to compete even if it's stuff I wasn't good at well I would see him get all these reviews <laughs> you know we used to have these like note cards he'd get these awesome reviews Daniel's the best I I want that review you know <laughs> I, I need to learn some more and he was the person that really kind of gave me gave me that first spark of I want to learn more. I actually want to be involved in this somehow yeah. and then I went to Dad and Jimmy and said give me give me the real spiel give me the story tell me what tell me why. We do the things we do, not just how we do them, but why. And both of them said the exact same thing. Thank God, because we, not that they were desperate for me to work here. Mm-hmm. It's just until until I took it upon myself to want to learn, they weren't going to teach me. Oh, okay. It was, uh, we want to make sure you want to be a part of this. Growing up, they always told me and my brother, don't work here. Well, because they didn't like it. Yeah. They just wanted to make sure that's what we wanted to do. They never wanted us to be a junior. Mm. That's why when people call me or dad, especially me a lot, Jimmy Jr., dad doesn't like it that much.
0: Yeah. Because yeah, you're Bruce. You're yeah, your own exactly. person. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So so when you asked them the why, what was their why?
3: For Jimmy, a lot of it is because this is what I know how to do. Yeah. And what I mean by that, I, well... I. To start off, Dad is the current master distiller. Eddie Russell is our current master distiller. If you asked my grandfather Jimmy, Dad is one of two of our current master distillers. <laughs> uh, but my grandfather Jimmy's in his mid eighties, and he just yeah. doesn't. He does show. He was at work this morning, so I don't want to say he's not coming into work. He just doesn't have as much of a hands-on role as he would have probably in the past. And Dad's doing most of the the master distilling work, um, which today is a lot different, I guess, than what Jimmy was doing. Hmm. But he's only the fourth master distillery we've ever had since Wild Turkey started back in the mid-1800s. Yeah. The first guy was a Rippy who had started yeah. this distillery yep. and brand. And then eventually, it, if anybody knows in the history of the Rippey family, they sold and bought distilleries. And they were involved in a bunch of businesses and a bunch of random stuff. And I that, that, think that guy was like one of the guys that started this. He went bankrupt like three or four different times and had a bunch of different brands. Pretty interesting family. But after him, it was this guy named Bill Hughes who then made our whiskey from before Prohibition, Mm -hmm. and then Prohibition happened, he came back as an old, old man. Oh. And he's the person that taught Jimmy. And so when Jimmy started in 54, Bill Hughes was was the master distiller here. He's the only person that knew what we were doing. And this is the reason why Jimmy is our master distiller today, He got a pretty cushy job when he first started here. My grandmother was already working here. It probably had something to do with it. I think he was playing on, like, one of the semi-pro baseball teams that was attached to the company that owned it, so that probably helped. So he actually started off in the lab. He probably Mm -hmm. had the best job out of all of us in the beginning. And uh, Mr. Hughes just kind of fell in love with Jimmy. They fell in love with each other. Uh, Jimmy was this kind of sharp, inquisitive kid, which – Uh, You know According to other people Wasn't always the case back then You just kind of did your job And shut Mm up You know And were happy with what you got paid Well, Jimmy was one of those people That Why You know That's how he's always been Why Can you tell me Anybody that's ever talked to Jimmy knows He wants to talk to you about two hours About everything um, (laughs) About what you do for a living Where you live What road's best to get there Like He just likes to talk to people And I'm sure he did the same thing With Mr. Mr. Hughes And He started to teach Jimmy Everything he knew Mm Mm-hmm And he'd spend six months, 2 year in one job, six months, 2 year in another job. And uh, Jimmy at one time thought he was going to get let go or that they were trying to get rid of him because that's what you do to union-style employees if you want to get rid of them, right? You put them around jobs. Do you find one they don't like? And then that's what he's got to work forever, (laughs) and then he quits. Well, no, he was trying to teach him everything he did, and that was 54, I think 67. It's right around in there. It's like mid-60s. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Hughes passed away on the job here at the distillery. On the job. On the job. Had a stroke. I think it was a stroke. I don't think it was a heart attack. Here at the distillery. Yeah. And passed away. Well, uh, Jimmy's the one who taught everything. So guess who your new master distiller is? Uh, it's that kid over there in the corner. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. and, and back then, you were more than just master distiller. I always crack up because Mimi will complain. There'll be somebody here at the distillery like, well, I'll get you on Friday. And he'll be like, Friday? You, you, you can't just do what I need you to do right now because... To him, he was master distiller and plant manager and head of HR, and uh, was the person who dealt with the union. And you know, there are people that do all these things now. You know, there's dozens of people that do what he was doing by himself. Mm-hmm. There's a much smaller operation, mm-hmm. and it was not modern, um, so it's probably a less uh, work than all those twelve jobs do today. But sure. that's what he was doing. He ran the entire thing by himself for a super long time, for decades, I think, and when he talks about the whiskey he makes it's because that's what Mr. Hughes taught him hmm. it's what he knows how to do
2: Okay,
3: that's why we do it because that's what I know how to do and when I do it this way it tastes good right yeah Yeah. now come to find to out back. he did know all the science because when I first started here about six months in he finally was like okay you've earned your like you've earned it you've proven yourself to me that you care about it enough that like you you're really learning about what's going on here mm. so Come in my office. I got something to give you. I was like, okay. And knowing Jimmy, I thought it was like a poor whiskey. Or he was going to tell me somebody said something nice about me, and he was proud, you know, that kind of thing. Typical grandpa stuff. <laughs> um, no, he had two um, books, handwritten, from the time he started in 54. I think actually the first is in like 57, when he actually started to write this stuff down, all the way into the early 60s, and their their notes about the science behind everything he's doing. Wow. Uh, this is how we distill and this is these are the congeners and alcohols and things we pull off when we distill at this proof like this is the why um, wow. our yeast strain gives us this kind of yield after these you know this amount of time if you leave it any longer set like tertiary and more secondary fermentations than we like set in yeah um, so make sure to keep it and it's funny because all the notes are written in the way he speaks, Like 72 to 80 hours or bunk or like, or junk, or it'll be like, put it into the barrel 107 or no count. Or you basically saying like, it's disgusting. It's no good. Uh, And, uh, and everything in there is that kind of stuff. So when you ask him today and he says like, I like six to 12 year old whiskey, well that's, that's what he was taught back then. But he even meant it back then. It'll say stuff like that. Like, um, best whiskey at eight to 11 on distillery. Anything older is, you know, and it'd be some weird off note. Anything younger is green and disgusting. And this beautiful handwritten stuff back from yeah. the 50s and 60s. It's yeah. uh, super interesting. And it's everything from super basic science, like how yeast works, Yeah, to super detailed and specific science. Like this is how our yeast works. These are the exact things it gives us according to our chemical analysis. Yeah. And it's funny even seeing like some stuff that we take for granted today. It's like, how do you take proof you know how how we do it here? We have machines that do it. Uh, but it, back then, it, it's uh, he he had to do everything by hand, and those handwritten notes are really a gateway into everything we did. From here's how to pair up, you know, your general employees. There wasn't even a union back then. I was going to say union work, but how to pair up union like workers mm-hmm. in groups to get the best out of them. To um, wow. uh Here's how long you can keep your grain Before it starts to go bad Beware of grain from these places Because they'll try to You know um, make a, they'll, make the, they'll make their truck heavy By you know <sighs> they Once you think you're getting a certain amount of bushels And when you actually weigh out the corn out It's not you know That kind of stuff from wow. back then It's super cool I still have those notes Every now and then when I'm feeling <laughs> uh, A certain way I'll go back and read them Yeah uh, and, and Do you know uh, if he was just writing those for himself? Just for himself
1: he wasn't in the back of his mind thinking.
3: He started I in, got in 54, it's 2021. He still hasn't taught anybody.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's,
3: that's the truth. <laughs> he, he never once took my dad aside and taught him everything he knew. I'm the yeah. only person he's ever done anything like that with. And me, it was just kind of like, here's my books, learn it. Always been a uh, huh. tough love type of guy. He's that way at home, too. And it's always been, uh, you're going to fall on your face. I'm not going to laugh at you, I'm going to pick you up and dust you off. And you know Smack you on your butt As you try again But I'm going to let you Fall down a few times Mm. That's how he was with dad He was way Way more patient And 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 nice to me But that's always Just been kind of his thing You know Um, You're going to learn it On your own Because a lot of the stuff He had to learn on his own I mean he had those notes But he was Around my age He was in his mid-30s early to mid-30s and then had keys to this castle amazing um you know when i see a 30 something year old master distiller plant manager i'm like Whoo you know it's an awful <laughs> young person to be running a place like that because i'm around that age you yeah, know yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and, and i'm not a master of anything so to to see all the stuff he did it is it's it was pretty cool but now it's he's definitely writing it all for himself okay all for himself okay yeah
0: And what about your dad's why? What what was your dad's
3: why? Uh, Dad's is a little bit different because um, dad is not uh, a person with, like, multiple chemistry degrees, but he's just always been – uh inquisitive in a different way than jimmy i guess mm. he wants uh, his whole thing would be like well why don't we just not use corn or have you ever tried using a square barrel you know like <laughs> uh okay he's always wanted to poke and and prod and fix and change yeah and then jimmy would be like, no and then he would ask why and he jimmy sound because i say so well then dad would go and research himself why or yeah, would well, try yeah, yeah. it behind Jimmy's yeah, back, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. and then figure out, oh, it's because it's disgusting when you do it that way. <laughs> um, so his wise had a lot more, a lot more of a actual scientific reason.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, we don't do that because when we do this, this thing happens that causes this note we don't like. Or really, we distill like, uh, you know, Jimmy's answer would be, well, we distill it at, at, at lower proofs than everybody else. Just about that's our size. Why do we only distill to one twenty five, one thirty? Jimmy, we get more flavor that way. You know, you just still much higher than that, you're going to lose flavor. And then Dad's answer would be, you know, what we know more today, how people talk today. Well, we're we're pouring off the types of alcohols and, and flavoring components that we want off that proof. If we go much higher, we go closer to just corn alcohol. Mm-hmm which is a little bit sweeter than we want. It's a little less complex than we want. Yep. Um, and he would explain to me, you know, all the different alcohols, which, you know, growing up, you hear old wives' tales, methanol make you go blind, you know. Uh, so don't drink any moonshine because that's yep. what's in there, you know. And uh, so, you know, given tours, people would be like, is it just ethanol? Yes, there is no other alcohols. Dad's like, well, that's wrong, actually. It's the trace <laughs> amounts of all that stuff that isn't kind of scary sounding, stuff that's in your lighter or stuff that's in your car or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that that – makes all these delicious flavors. And he, he just would take the time to actually explain to me everything he knew. Yeah. Uh, another big difference is what Jimmy says goes. Huh. Um, that's just how he operates. I don't blame him. He is uh, uh, he's a titan of this industry. Mm-hmm. He really is. Mm-hmm. And the whiskey he made, and I mean this, it doesn't matter who you are in the world or what time you made it. I would put Jimmy's whiskey from the 60s until the early 90s against Anybody that's ever made whiskey ever. I'm not saying it's better, mm-hmm. but I bet it goes toe to toe. So I don't blame him when he said, because I say so. Mm. You know what I mean? Where dad's is always, he's always been the type of person, he'll explain it and then he'll say, What do you think? Huh. Well, what's your opinion on that? What do you, what do you yeah. taste? Or well, a lot of times he'll ask me, I'll ask him a question, he'll ask me, well, What do you think? before he'll give me the answer. Yeah. Because uh, he wants to see where mine's at, my mind's at. And uh, even some of the, like, the whiskeys that have come out recently, I think, not that I'm the one making the whiskey, but it's just like a lot of it is like, well, what do you think would be cool? Well, I think this would be cool. Well, I think that's kind of cool too. What if we did yeah. this? What if we, and so it would be like, well, I think it, because my answers are always like, I think it'd be super cool if we did like a 10 or 15 year old barrel proof. Age stated non chill filtered rye whiskey. And he's like, okay, what's realistic? You know, uh, (laughs) what's realistic is like we can take maybe a few years of our younger rye whiskeys and give it out at barrel proof. Yeah. And then it's an idea like that where dad goes to. A marketing team somewhere or whatever and says like hey we've got some good rye whiskey i think this is a really neat idea we should do something barrel proof well then somebody in marketing that actually knows how to put ideas together and make products like you know what uh rare breed has had a little bit of a resurgence recently on mm-hmm. the on the bourbon side uh shouts out to uh some bourbon bloggers and bourbon experts out there who have graded the 116 rare breed the newest edition super high or it's mm-hmm. won some crazy blind tastings and that's helped rare breed well Campari wanted to keep that momentum going, and and Dad had been harping on him about a rye project, Rare Breed Rye. There you go. Um, So that's, I think, the thing that Dad's best at is uh, listening, and that's something that not a lot of other distillers do much of, Mm. and I get why. Mm -hmm. Because the consumer is not always right. (laughs) Oftentimes, (laughs) they're not right. But... Oftentimes we're not right either, mm-hmm. and so when you look at a lot of Dad's products, whether it's some of the Masters Keeps or Wild Turkey Eighty One or uh, the new stuff coming out, Russell's Thirteen or Rare Breed Rye, these are things that not only have I wanted, but they're things that consumers have asked for. Mm-hmm. You know, Russell's Thirteen—it's a age stated. 13 and older, non chill filtered, barrel proof product. It's literally what every nerd on Reddit or any bourbon yep. blog or that yep. comes on a podcast, like, man, I just wish I could get that old raw <laughs> turkey, you know, at barrel proof <laughs> and non chill filter. Well, here go. it is. And so uh, that's not because marketing did it, it's because dad and me mm-hmm. and enough of the nerd world has told Compart. This is what we want. Yeah. Um, Jimmy never would have done that. He would have just done the whiskey he wanted to do. Yeah. And he know I, in his mind, I think he knows like the whiskey I makes good. You're gonna like it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What I make is good enough that that you're gonna drink it no matter what. The only time I think he he really kind of broke the mold on that was American Honey. Oh.
0: Okay. Um,
3: yep. Where he d- did American Honey in the seventies. Uh, before anybody else was really doing uh, much flavoring honey or anything, back to the '70s, mm-hmm. the original one.
0: Shit, I didn't know that. I think okay.
3: '76. Yeah, okay, somebody listening on the podcast will be screaming at me because it's not the right <laughs> date. But it's a. Uh, How does he
0: not know? Uh,
3: <laughs> because when it first came out, It's had like two or three different variations. Yeah. It was like Wild Turkey Liqueur and then Wild Turkey Liqueur with honey. Or it used to come in this weird like hexagon shaped bottle at oh, the bottom yes. with a tall skinny neck. Um, and it was it was called a liqueur. It was a liqueur. So I didn't know that that
0: was that was a, that's American was a honey. honey. Pro- I didn't know that was an American mm-hmm. honey product. I just thought, you know, if you look back at some older Scotch whiskey bottlings that refer to single malt as a liqueur, yeah. just because they're still trying to figure out the designations of of what whiskey is and how we should be
3: called. And there was a time when liqueurs were hot. Yeah, like that was like oh, a okay you know that That's might maybe back in 76 that would have been the white claw of its day i yeah. don't know but uh <laughs> um i mean it's not because we didn't sell any of it forever but uh yeah it had like two or three different iterations and then i they i don't know the i don't remember the date off the top of my head when we finally switched over to like the modern american honey yeah yeah, yeah. um but it's it's a huge product for us Wow. shouts out to to Jimmy making it in the 70s. Amazing. Or maybe not, you know. (laughs) I might have my date wrong there. So So to
1: bring this line of questioning home then, what's the why of Bruce Russell?
0: Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. See that? Pick up what you're putting down. Well, right
3: now it's because uh, I do what they tell me to do. (laughs) Um, uh, The why behind everything I try to do in the whiskey world is to push Wild Turkey as far as I can Mm -hmm. into the space I think it needs to be or can be because I think we make some of, if not the best big distillery American whiskey in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's American whiskey, so it's only in America. But uh, (laughs) I think the stuff we make is incredible for the size of distillery we're at, for any size distillery, especially for a distillery the size we're at. And uh, I think that, I'm one of those people. I always think there's more. Uh we're getting there. Mm. Uh, there's no way Campari would have agreed to make rare breed rye Russell's 13 even 5 years ago. Definitely not when they bought us. Okay. That mo- the momentum we've got right now with Master's Keeps and the Russell's vintages, the 98, 2002, 2003, seeing the reception critically and from consumers on those type of things. Mm-hmm that has what's allowed us to make these other kinds of products. I feel like gives us a little bit more leeway with the company when we want to do non big money makers. Yeah. Because stuff like rare breed, Ron Russell's 13, that's not what makes a company a lot of money. Yeah. You know, it is more like stuff like American honey. Right. In, in this, I, I'm so glad you brought up this point. I
0: think, I think it's so important for a brand. Obviously you're a distillery, you employ lots of people, you also have to pay these people. You also have to reinvest into the company. But there's something to be said about brand growth that leads to money-making. And so so it sounds as if five-plus years ago, Campari wasn't necessarily as receptive to what you're doing now, but they are now. What, what was that change in them maybe focusing a bit more on the brand growth that would then lead to the money-making
3: aspect. I mean, I, they started to see some of our brand work be successful yeah. um, on paper. So one thing, like a huge change in the party in the last five or so years from the time I started, when I started working as a brand ambassador, I might have been the only full-time brand person in the company in ah. the States. Okay, uh, yeah. There's a guy named Mike Cappafari who now owns an awesome bar out in L.A., and uh, he used to be our Italian portfolio rep. Uh, But when I started, he was still working kind of part-time. There's another guy named uh, Greg Butera up in Chicago that was doing part-time work. There were some people, I think, like um, Bulldog Gin, who were doing Mm -hmm. some kind of part-time stuff. Well, now we have a whole part of our company that is dedicated to uh, basically consumer needs, uh, and to on-premise stuff. Yeah. So consumer facing restaurant and bar facing, you know, door to door interactions with people Mm -hmm. and that stuff starts to work and they get momentum behind that. And then, um, okay, we've, we've got enough like buzz behind the brand now because of all this brand work we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Let's release Master's Keeper. Let's release Russell's 98. Mm-hmm. And we're willing to do this one small thing, but at a super high price point so we can make a lot of money, mm-hmm. make a, a lot of profit per bottle. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, a lot of people like this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh well, okay. Wait a second. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can make some money off this stuff. Yeah. And they also see, because it, it it... I mean, it makes sense. Uh, a company doesn't in whiskey. You have to do this. A company doesn't want to wait for money, and so if if one on one and American Honey are are crushing it, mm-hmm. it's super easy for a company. I think to 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 sit back and say, let's just ride, ride this. Let's mm-hmm. rest on our laurels. You know, mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. ride this horse until it dies. And so I'll give Campari a lot of credit that they saw some momentum behind the brand. Mm-hmm. They saw some momentum with younger consumers, nerdier consumers, more educated consumers, and on-prem focused people. And uh, they've started to produce stuff that those type of consumers want. Yeah. Even though those consumers make you way less money than you know your mid-shelf product that somebody's coming in with a coupon for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. And, and so I'll give Campari a lot of credit for their willingness to once they saw a little bit of success they're like okay let's try some more stuff yeah yeah because now i think some of our new more innovative products they're as exciting as anything out there Mm-hmm. Is a helicopter buzz right. over here it's a black hawk look at that there's a uh national guard uh place okay. around here maybe it came from there yeah Maybe it's just one of those people over for sales rich enough to have a Black Hawk helicopter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I'm intrigued when
1: you're talking Jimmy Russell, My Way or the Highway. Eddie Russell, tell me what you're thinking. Let me help you guide you.
3: What's Bruce Russell? Um, I, I think part of it is that trying to push this as far as I can because there's nobody else doing that. Hmm. Uh, Because if there was somebody that was a a, even more of a wackadoo than I am, as far as like (laughs) you know, let's put some weird fruit inside of the barrel and age it, you know that kind of stuff. I would probably be a little bit more like Jimmy, like whoa, (laughs) hold on now. Um, So I think the other side of it for me is to um, I do feel a sense of uh, of responsibility in keeping like Jimmy's spirit alive, Mm. doing things in a respectful way, doing things. With a purpose, uh, doing things for a reason, because he's not somebody. There's a part of me that likes to do things just to see what's going to happen, hmm. uh, but there's a part of me that that knows. Make sure you've got everything else in order first, yeah. right? I'm a person like I never want to see what I consider Jimmy's brands to ever go away. One on one, rare breed, Kentucky spirit, because mm-hmm. um, they're the they're the foundation of what we built everything yep. off of. Yep. yep. Um, so Beautiful. I I think that part of my role is almost as like a a keeper of history as a keeper of tradition there's not that many of me out there anymore Uh, most of the people in the uh, that have grown up in this and I get it because I grew up in a small town in Kentucky there's not a lot here you know you're driving 15 minutes to go to the movies or 35 minutes to go to the mall Hmm. Um, it's not in my town Uh, and a lot of people want to leave and get out and not do what their dad did but for me I would never want to see Jimmy die off I always want people to know who he was because he means so much to me and this industry. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. And I, I'm so excited to see people like uh, Freddie. Well, Freddie over there, at uh, Jim Beam doing what he's doing with Lil mm-hmm. Book. He's named his things Lil Book. That's so cool because he is a Lil Booker, you know, just in the same way that I'm probably a lot closer to who Jimmy is than dad was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's keeping these and it's not just our families. Right? It's about you know the the people that work out there in Boston or in Laredo at these distilleries. The people who work here in Tyrone at our distillery. They're our family too. It's keeping uh, their spirit and the stuff that they do every day alive because there's not that many of us that that are still in it. I think uh, the easy way out. I mean, Dad I've talked about this before. The easiest thing for me to do would be, you know, to to start my own thing and put some. Weird cool label on it, and mm-hmm. do weird esoteric whiskeys, and sell them for a bunch of money a bottle, and be on the cover of magazines. Th- you know what I mean? Like be like a social media person or a whiskey influencer. I believe is what they're called <laughs> now. Um, and be that type of person. Uh-huh. It's the modern cool thing to do. It's what makes a lot of money in that kind of stuff. But you know, if everybody was to do that, there wouldn't be any more Jimmys, or people would kind of forget Jimmy and. Elmer and Booker and Parker and Lincoln Henderson and all those type of folks. So it's really cool when you see folks like the Hendersons over there at Angels Envy or Freddie over at Jim Beam, just people that are really from it still be in it. And even if they're doing something different, Mm -hmm. like over at Angels, they're doing something a lot different than the stuff that Lincoln was doing uh, for most of his career. But uh, they're talking about him. They're talking about how he influenced what they do there's still a part of him in it and that to me is just it's so cool mm-hmm. uh, one of the coolest things about whiskey in the world i mean it's been around a lot longer over Ireland in scotland than it has been here but it's that uh it's that you go over and it's an automated like super cool system but then you know the guy that's making it grew up on site and has been the distiller there for 40 years <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff it you don't yeah. see that in other industries yeah, that like kind of that. tradition and stuff it's so so cool to me and then you know whoever my brother has just had a daughter here recently i'm an uncle and so maybe if naomi wants to be a master distiller one day she can carry on the family tradition but whoever it is that's after me and dad Mm -hmm. i just hope that they continue on kind of jimmy's legacy yeah it's
2: important yeah yeah i think so
3: yeah not that many people just make really good eight-year-old whiskey, you know. There's really not that many of us. Uh,
1: so, so I, as much as you can, you can talk Turkey all day, and you've you've lived Turkey for the majority of your drinking life. Uh, hashtag responsibly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Legal drinking life. Correct. Legal drinking correct, life. correct. 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 Mm-hmm. When we're when we're not on the mic, and we've already done it today, when we've been hanging out, we're just talking whiskey and you've mentioned it a few times today, which is the, the Heaven Hill six-year-old bottled and bond that was cheap as chips, and I bought a ton off when I was in mm-hmm. Kentucky. It wasn't available outside of Kentucky. People in the nerd side of whiskey are always trading picks, trading ideas, mm-hmm. trading selections. If we can't spend our 12 to $15 on that Heaven Hill six-year-old bottled and bond when we're in the state of Kentucky, where can we spend our money? What do you think is a a worthwhile replacement?
3: Hmm. If you, if, it's a good question. So uh, I think that, I don't really think there's a comparison for that product, to be honest, right, it was so good for as cheap, and that's what—that's the weird thing about that product. I had some this weekend, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, I got some in my house. Yeah. There's a place still up in Chicago that, uh, that still has a bottle, and oh shit! And I introduced it to uh, my girlfriend for mm-hmm. the first time. She's like, "This is pretty good," and, and I was like, "Yeah, it is." And it used to be super cheap, <laughs> uh, and so I don't know if there's anything that cheap that good, just because the world's different. So, so I
1: didn't think Evan Hill got rid of
3: it, but uh, I didn't think it was outside of Kentucky. But it, there, it's not. was it like well, it supposed to be, but there was like
1: kind of thing happening.
3: I, well, there, uh, you say that, and then the people at the place I was at said, "Well, there's really only two places in the whole city that could get it." And so, uh, okay. uh, who uh, knows? Okay, well, who there's knows? A will we're Hunting. A, we're hunting. Yeah. I guess that's the benefit of being Heaven Hill. You're family owned, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do. Uh, you can do kind of whatever you want. But we have said this before. I think that it, it's the best time to be a whiskey consumer and only have like twenty bucks in your pocket. Whether it's from from us, it's just one on one. Yeah, uh, find that on sale here in Kentucky at Rite Aid or <laughs> at your local Walmart or wherever it's on sale. Kroger, wherever it's on sale here, get you some when it's on sale. It's awesome whiskey. Um, other stuff like um, I'll tell you what's uh, made a big difference is is people like. Um, Bernie Levers, who goes on the road and yep, preaches yeah. the, the, the gospel of bottled and bond. Are the best whiskeys in the world bottled and bond? No, because most of them are right out four years old and 100 proof. But you know what they are? They're affordable, and they're really good for what the yeah, price points yeah, are. Yeah. So just like Avon Williams bottled and bond.
1: That's what i am awesome.
3: hearing. It's an That's... awesome whiskey for the price point. I'm glad to hear you here say but it, that. It's kind of like the Heaven Hill Six year. It's like... We're so skewed as nerds now because uh, we're all spoiled. Yeah. And right. so somebody would be yeah. like, I was just trying the 27 year old Parker's blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, well, yeah, that's not what this is about. Uh, saying you got 20 bucks in your pocket. Um, look for bonded stuff. Yeah. yeah whether yeah. it's, uh, you know, a Brown Foreman product or a Jim Beam product uh OGD or um Evan Williams Evan Williams is just my favorite of those yeah. not I mean non-wild turkey things that's a you know an affordable around 100 proof whiskey yeah. there's plenty of stuff look for the bonded that's that, I guess that's what I would say to somebody with not a lot of money in their pocket but wants to drink well yeah um is look for that bonded and then i guess try to find what style of whiskey you want you can pay like ten more dollars in the thirty dollar price range, and then that's when you start getting into some really good stuff. Like for us, Russell's ten. Um, but every mm-hmm. distillery is making something that is six to ten years old in that in that range, ninety to hundred and ten ish prune. Such a phenomenal
0: whiskey for, for like thirty, I think it's around thirty four bucks where yeah. I am. It's just like it's no brainer great ten year old yep. whiskey. I've got a bottle uh, on my shelf.
3: But yeah, there's stuff that Bean makes. There's stuff that yeah. Heaven Hill makes. There's yeah. some Old Forester products. There's that's the cool uh, Four Roses makes a bunch of affordable stuff that's really Dude. really good. I love Four Roses, uh, and so I, it's the best time to to be a um, a connoisseur of whiskey and only have you know twenty to forty dollars in your pocket. There's so much yeah. good stuff out there. Even we were talking even some of these craft guys now. You know, it used to be, oh, it's a craft whiskey, it's a hundred dollars and two years old. No, now a lot of it's four to eight years old, and it's like thirty or forty dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, yeah. There's nothing like that six year though. It, I don't know if there ever will be. And it's why they got rid of it. It's it was only available here, so they couldn't have sold that much because there's not that many people in Kentucky. <laughs> if you ever listen to this in a major market, you have more people in your major market in your city than we do in our state. So uh, there's not that many people that live here, and so I, they just thought. They, I guess they thought it was probably More work than it was worth for them Yeah Um, But for sentimental reasons I was sad to see it go Because it is I definitely drank more of that As a young consumer Than I even did while turkey I love that stuff
1: have you tried the the seven? Uh, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Right? it went away and then it came back as the seven-year-old bottled and bond At about for three times
0: the price. 40, I would say forty dollars. I'd say
3: drink them side by side. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got yeah, to do that. Decision, yeah. I would. I'd pay more for the six-year. Wow! Yeah, I really yeah. Yeah,
0: it was a great, great little drinker. Well, um, the seven's
3: available
1: nationally.
0: It is nationally. Yeah. Um, I I want to bring us back to Wild Turkey because we. We learned something it's, it's funny. And I think, I don't know if I told you, but I definitely told your dad, Jason and I started the company in 2011, sometime around 2015 or so. I was in Chicago and I was uh, meeting with Gene Sharnas at Warehouse Liquors. Lovely guy. I absolutely love him. And he said, "I, I I want to taste you on, on this wild Turkey pick that I did. And at the time I said, you know what? Wild Turkey is not really my thing. I said, I hear that a lot. Try my cask. So I give it a go and I fell in love and it was through that connection. It was through Gene's passion, right? You talked about brand growth and, and like, like he's frontline, right? That's important stuff. So I learned about wild Turkey. And then we started a relationship with you. we start bottling some casks. Everything's from Tyrone. And then we get a little further into the relationship. Then we hear about Camp Nelson. We say, okay, I haven't heard of Camp Nelson before, but all right, let's give this a go and see what these warehouses are doing. And then we move on and all of a sudden we're, what, well, I just finished my glass. I need to pour a little more. But now we're hearing about McBrayer. And so, you know, I think, I think there are some hardcore bourbon lovers listening to the podcast right now. They're saying, yeah, of course, Tyrone. Camp Nelson, McBrayer, like, but there's people like ourselves who that's new to. So can you talk to us a little bit about McBrayer? What's going in there? Why is it different? What, what's happening? Because what we tasted today, you know, just like many of your other warehouses, you have the one mash bill, but the flavor profile changes in, in wild ways. And what's been in our glass, we just keep going back to and back to and back to. So talk to us about 'er, Brer McBrear, and what's going on there and where those flavors are coming from.
3: Yeah, sure thing. Um, To start off, uh, I've heard some whiskey nerds kind of do the same thing like oh yeah camp nelson and then i always laugh it's like you all weren't even drinking turkey 10 years ago (laughs) much less did y'all know what camp nelson is uh and trust me all the the whiskey aficionados out there as much as you love camp nelson and you might like mcbrayer after this year because there's gonna be some good private barrels coming from there uh our distillery workers hate it as much as you love it because those old warehouses over at camp nelson mcbrayer they're not in great shape, and they're really hard to get whiskey out oh, of Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but I think it's worth the effort, of course, because I don't have to do it, right? Uh, <laughs> but McBurrier is, uh, it's been around forever. I mean, uh, the old Distillery distilleries over there, it, they've been around, I mean, longer than I have. They sit right across the street from Four Roses. So if anybody knows Four Roses, yeah. it's the other non Lawrenceburg Lawrenceburg distillery. Um, we both claim Lawrenceburg, neither of us are in it. I think we are technically because the city wants us in it, but uh, (laughs) where we're at, like where we're standing right now, is on a porch warehouse, say, down in Tyrone, Kentucky, um, right above the river, uh, the Kentucky River. I say the river like there's only one. Um, (laughs) The river. It is. Where you grew up, it's the river, you know, (laughs) just like Louisville's the city. Uh Um, And then uh, Four Roses is on the opposite side of town uh, in a place called McBrayer. It's a small community out there. And uh, there's a lot of history of whiskey being made out there. Yeah. I don't know how we end up th- ended up with those warehouses exactly, but Four Roses does not use the same type of warehousing everybody else does in Kentucky. Yeah, it's all single four, right? Yeah. It's single four. but when when I when we say single four, if y'all picture it in your minds, it's not just three barrels tall, right? It's not just six feet tall. Mm-hmm. They're a little taller than that, but it's not storied like ours are. We have mm-hmm. six, seven, and eight-story buildings here at Wild Turkey. Theirs is essentially one. So they don't use those warehouses across the street from them. We own them. Hmm. They sit on their own down in this like little nook uh, right by the Salt River. So a lot of moisture, a lot of air coming through there, a lot of wind. It's funny because it actually sits right in front of my family's farm out there in McBrayer. My other side of my family has uh, always raised cattle. Yeah. Um, they have an Angus farm back there, and the those warehouses sit right on there. And it's super cool because on my grandfather's farm, there's actually still building like foundations of old buildings mm. that I've always known that were connected to the disti- old school distillery operations that were mm. there in McBrayer. Okay. Because his farm backs right up like to that river, um, the Salt so, River there. Can I pause you just one second?
0: Yeah. The distilling that was there was there a connection? to wild turkey at that time or it, it's it's no that's old up. old like before that's Four old. Roses okay. old and stuff okay. like that right. like the okay.
3: other cool. people that would have been making whiskey in gotcha. McBrayer back okay. in the day but uh, there's been it's you know it's like everywhere in Kentucky if there's a waterway or a river yeah. it'll attach yeah. and get you to the Ohio and then to the Mississippi there's going to be a distillery on it yeah. Yeah. Four Roses is down there they age all their stuff down in Cox's Creek um, not here in Lawrenceburg So it's funny when people show up And ask about those warehouses They're ours I think there's three warehouses there Maybe four I think there's only three But not all of them are in use One of them I know for sure Doesn't have anything in it McBrayer It's just kind of unusual They're not Those warehouses Aren't built the same way as ours Some of the barrels Are like down in the ground Kinda Like not like Underneath the ground But they're just It's laid out weird um, And they They have I mean, we've tried two McBrayer barrels today, mm-hmm. very different from one another. Now, I told you all before we tried them that that's how I kind of thought about McBrayer this year. My favorite warehouse last year and these picks were S. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think the you all you all ended up picking two, and the third one that you all were going to pick was an S. Yep. It had this strange wood note, yeah, on a lot of it. That I've heard a lot of people say it's cedar. Mm. Uh, mm. Don't know, but I. Strange woody note I loved it But Every single pick I tried from there I either loved it Or I did not like it at all And I feel that way About these McBrayers They vary so much And they pick up A little bit of a darker And deeper flavor Than I would say Other barrels have At least the ones this year At the same age Like the The whiskeys we were trying out of McBrayer They're just 8 years old If I would have blind Tasted them I would have thought They were at least 10 yeah. maybe 12 yeah. Yep. Uh, on the flavor profile, where we also tried some Tyrone F's. I thought the opposite. They taste like eight-year-old whiskeys. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Not in a bad way. Yeah, grand yep. rinkers. Yeah, easy, sweet. I mean, it's the Jimmy Russell profile. It yeah. is uh, burnt sugar and vanilla and caramel and oak and just delicious, eh, like every man's whiskey. Yep, yep. You package that up and sell it at, any of your local grocery stores and they're gonna be happy when they get that private barrel yep the mcbrailer is not that i didn't think it was very sweet uh it is very complex it is atypical or off profile Mm -hmm. um, to most of our other stuff and the samples vary way more than they do on the stuff from from these tyrone warehouses k or f i am a little bit confused with k this year i mean this is the type of stuff that jimmy's always told me you gotta be you gotta be around here for 50 years before you can figure it out i guess he's right because in my mind the last time k came around there were these like awesome you got one of two things you got this crazy like red fruit bomb Mm -hmm. um, that i would have bet you at the time somebody did something to it like Mm. poured some kind of a flavoring component into the whiskey interesting it was that extreme yeah Or it was like a Snickers bar, chocolate and caramel and peanuts and um, a dessert, you know, chocolate cake, pecan pie, that type of stuff. It's been Tyrone K. Most of the stuff I've tried this year is a little bit closer to F. It's a little bit more typical. Hmm. It's been a a little less of a a super in-your-face flavor bomb. Yeah. Um, I feel that way about McBrayer. It tastes old. It tastes unusual and interesting in a way that we normally, well, I say we normally don't get here, but I feel like every year where I'm talking on one of these (laughs) things, talking about another warehouse. That's the new hot (laughs) thing, but it's different than, because I think the last one that really blew up for us was Camp Nelson F. Anybody that knows anything on our private barrel program or our barrels in general, Camp Nelson F is a, uh, is a known quantity. Mm -hmm. And we were talking earlier. I think it might be the best warehouse we've ever had in the program because of the consistency of the barrels. Almost every Camp Nelson F barrel I've had's really good. I've never had a Camp Nelson F barrel that I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, I gotcha. In yeah. the way that we're sitting here drinking a bottle with a red top on it. Yeah. So we've been calling it red top. Is red top McBrayer B? What is that? You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, it doesn't taste like anything else we've tried today. We tried a, I guess it would be a, what, a eleven year old barrel in there, just about nine, will be 12. Yeah, yeah almost 12. 11-year-old barrel in here from Camp Nelson A. And we sat here and tried it. And I think one of the notes was uh, grape, <laughs> like a medicinal grape flavoring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like a cough syrup, and not in a bad way. <laughs> uh, and there was this, like, strange... Dark fruit, a grape, a, yes, purple, uh, a plum, a blackberry, <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. uh, a sweet, bitter, tart fruit kind of note. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. Yeah. I wish, like, that's the type of stuff where aging, maturation, is so much more interesting to me than anything on the distilling side of things. But you all both asked, "What's the why?" Mm. There is a why for everything. A how yeah. and a why for everything before yeah. it goes into the barrel. In the barrel We know How it happens Yeah We know The process Of esterification, Where Certain alcohols Can meet with Wood And oxygen And they form These long Complex flavor chains mm-hmm. That turn into Stuff like uh, Apple pie yeah. Or uh, yeah. Depending on the Distillery Banana Or peanut And I don't even Have to tell you all What distilleries I'm talking about When I say Banana or peanut you already know. <laughs> um, we know how that happens. Yeah. We don't know why yeah. that one tastes grape-ish. Yes. And the, the, we tried four barrels. They were all made on the same date. They all aged in the same warehouse. And none of the other three had anywhere close to that same note. At, at all. I didn't no. think any of the other ones were even fruity. Yep. And, um, no. and And we don't know yeah. why that barrel. And to me, that's so cool that's the interesting part about doing this and why I hope I never have to give up this private barrel program something dad has always said like "Well, when I stop doing that I'll retire because it's it's the one place where we kind of get to be the little guys again like I I am extremely jealous of small distillers they get to do whatever they want to do and get to try one barrel at a time all the time. and like, oh, my God, today we made stuff that tasted like uh, creme brulee. Yeah. It's like, well, most of the time we're batching stuff, and our whiskey's awesome, but most of the time our small batches are 150 to 250-ish barrels. Um, our large batches are 1,000 to 1,500 barrels. Amazing. And, you know, the big guys, the, they're bigger guys, even though we're one of the big guys. There's even companies that, you know, a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred barrels—that wouldn't be that big of a, a of a dump. And so we don't oftentimes get the opportunity to do this type of stuff, where you find the barrel that says "Wow." Yeah, it's more about consistency. It's more about keeping that consumer happy, which is super important, like you said, because it it is important in a company like ours to make money. Uh, and I really mean that, especially for Lawrenceburg. I'm not get on like the Lawrenceburg soapbox because I do this a lot, but me and Dad have said, you know, if we ran the distillery, everything would be fifteen year old and. Uh, it'd be 15 year old whiskey and 12 year old Ryan, it'd all be age stated and nonchal filtered and barrel proof, and we'd release, you know, 10 thousand yeah. bottles a year, and it'd be awesome. We'd win a bunch of awards. We'd <laughs> be on the front of whiskey <laughs> aficionado, all that stuff. But there's 200 and some people from Armsburg yeah, exactly. that have jobs here. Yeah. Not a single one of them would be employed. Mm. It'd be me and Dad having to do it because none of that. It wouldn't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I and I I will. This is one thing I'll give us credit for. I, I think we would do a good job of kind of towing that line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of making Really high quality Traditional whiskey Mm -hmm. But also doing A pretty good job of it And making some Pretty interesting things But without this Private barrel program I don't know if people Would get to try Our most interesting stuff To be honest Because when I think Of the most interesting Or off profile Crazy turkeys I've had It's come from A private barrel Yeah Yeah yeah. Or something that somebody will say from the lab and be like, This is disgusting. I want you to try this. <laughs> but that sounds pretty interesting too. It's not very good, but it it sometimes it's is super interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, to add on to what you're saying there earlier on, when, when Joshua and I were standing in the warehouse and you, you had to run off on a very quick errand, and Joshua and I kind of looked at each other and, and said, No matter how many times we come in here, it still feels like a privilege. And getting to go through those different flavor profiles and to explore those different Rickhouse flavors, it still feels incredibly special each time. And to have your, the program, right? The single cast program, the cast pick program, uh, we would hate to see that go away as well. And it feels like such a connection to those who would geek out on the Wild Turkey single casts and so. We, as always, we thank you for opening your doors and allowing us to to walk through them.
3: Uh, I mean, we're me and Nat are just as excited to see most of the people come in here. You, you heard that quote yeah, Most people. I know. I I'm wondering which the, side of that's that fence we're standing on. Okay. Uh, no, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, uh, I don't know about dad, but, uh, no, it it, honestly, I I really appreciate you saying that because the way I've always thought about it is it's, um, I want to give people the experience here that I would want somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is the people in this industry, shout out to Steve Bean, Mm -hmm. uh, out of Lebanon. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first started here I called him up Because I'd met him at a whiskey fest And he was like Come down to the distillery, Come check out the weird stuff I'm doing i I'm like doing a barrel a day Yeah, He's, He was fermenting in open top barrels And uh, went and hung out And he just showed me everything that was there Or um, You know it's been a while It was before COVID I went to uh, To Willett and, and hung out with Drew And it was me and Benny And my cousin Joanne And He just took us in a rickhouse And was letting me try stuff out of a barrel That I remember telling him like I, "I this one's awesome this one's not you know <laughs> and him just dying laughing and like giving me more samples well, I want you to try this cool thing yeah. and uh, I've been fortunate enough that because of who I am I've got to do that a lot of places and everybody always treats me real well and, and being who I am it's hard to tell if it's genuine sometimes right mm-hmm. are you just treating me this well because I'm related to Jimmy or because you actually like, like me being around <laughs> but regardless I want people to have that same kind of experience here with me and dad that um, you come to our house. You, I'm, yeah. I, we want you. I want you to see the man behind the closed door. I don't want there to be, you know, it's the, what is it? The man behind the curtain and yeah. wizard boss. <laughs> I don't want there to be a curtain. Yeah. I want yeah. you to see the man. So please come here so we can, you know, tell you stories. That's going to embarrass each other and, and drink whiskey right out of the barrel. And, you know, just like today, we were walking around. What are these barrels doing here? I don't know. Let's call somebody and see if we can open them up. And we could, you know. <laughs> that doesn't happen in too many other places, and it's that type of stuff that I think really makes this program special. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a project right now to try to, to take this program to the next level. See what else we can do. And uh, one of the things they wanted me to list out were what are the what are the threats to this program?
2: Well,
3: mm-hmm. uh, what could cause this program to to lose momentum, lose its steam? and uh, the two things I, I really think could happen one take away our involvement hmm. uh, if you took yeah. sp- specifically dad yeah. out of this program I think it'd kill it. it it was so cool coming to these for the first time before I was really involved I just got to tag along with dad so I did that for a while just tagged along to see the way he interacted to see people light up when they'd see him in his truck just standing out here on the front porch so cool and I realized that like the same kind of of excitement I get Mm -hmm. when I go um, to a cool brewery in New York, Chicago, LA, you know, Denver, wherever it is. And I've told them I wanted to come by and they're like, Oh, let's open this place up. When I went to bars down bourbon company for the first time, (laughs) uh, I remember them let me in the lab and just trying a bunch of whiskeys. Like, look at that. We tried to recreate wild Turkey, try this. And it's like most places you'd go in, they wouldn't even want you looking in their lab. And it's experiences like that, that, Uh, I just They make They make my career You know It makes me happy When people allow me To get in there And ask the nerdy questions And geek out And so I know For people that didn't Grow up in this And find it even more Exciting than I do It really makes it For them too And And uh, And I think that's The most special thing About our brand Is the relationship building Anyway Everything we've done Has been based off Relationships As far as our growth The money we're making Jimmy was the first one To go out on the road Hmm. And I mean, he was a door-to-door sales guy, at liquor stores and bars. Hmm. Please buy wild turkey. I'm the guy that makes it. Here's why it's good, wow. you know. And there is this thing about Jimmy that's really stuck with me, where he grew up poor, and I don't feel sorry for him. He's got a pretty good life now, but he has a lot of that poor Kentucky boy sensibility still.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He knows. He's very aware. That he is, you know, one job away from not being what he is. Mm. From being the guy that rolled barrels for 40 years and then retired with a a broke back or whatever. Um, He, I think, has always recognized how lucky he was. He's so appreciative. He always feels like he has to be building relationships. He has to spend that extra hour with that person at the liquor store that even though it's 10 o'clock and he's 85 years old and he's signed 200 bottles, he's going to sit there and talk to that guy because he is just so happy he even gets to talk to that guy. And mm, that's uh, cool. And I will never have yeah. that same kind of, of thought process that Jimmy did because I never grew up as poor as Jimmy. Now, whiskey wasn't at, like – we, there's definitely a trajectory from, like, the house I was born into yeah. to the house that we had when I graduated high school because <laughs> uh, whiskey got a lot better. Um, uh, but I'll never have that. Yeah. But some of that has rubbed off on me sure. that, you know, if, if I'm in a, a big market city and somebody wants to talk to the just random guy from Arnsburg, I'm going to take the time to talk to that person. I'm going to sit down with that lady or sit down with that guy And give them the information they want or tell them the story that is going to make them laugh because I am lucky to be able to do what I do Mm -hmm. and to be able to do something with my family who I love and to do something that I love to do. And so that relationship thing, it influences everything we do. And it's the reason why we have all our products. We talked about, you know, we had to do we had to sell private barrels and master's keep before we could get to the rare breed rye. And and sure. uh, Russell's 13 Well the reason that exists is because the people Isn't into the podcast right now and you all It was People writing compari emails And getting on twitter and getting On reddit and getting mad when they do Certain things or you know uh, Mad that they didn't do a certain Thing it, it's that Passion it's bartenders Writing the online petition when we got rid of one-on-one rye mm-hmm. and Saying we're not going to carry compari products till you bring It back Whoa, it, it's our consumers have had ah. way more influence on yeah. our products over the years based on the relationship, not only that they have with me and my family,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but first and foremost, the personal relationships they have with our whiskey.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, which uh, people don't even realize they have, but you'll hear that a lot. That And it, it means a lot. We're talking about the grandpa thing. I, I drink one-on-one because the most important person in my life was my grandmother, and she drank one-on-one. We'll hear stuff like that a lot. And that's not a relationship that person has with me it's a relationship they have with the whiskey yeah mm-hmm. yep. a- and to me that that's like the coolest thing and there's a lot of people right now with relationships with whiskey and a lot of it's us uh ours it's us and uh we all just feel super lucky that that the bourbon nerd scene the uh vintage whiskey scene the on-premise scene bars and restaurants the people that i have always kind of looked up to as far as like well, whatever they're drinking is probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. They have really embraced our stuff and, and ran with it and built their own personal relationships with our whiskey and preached that to other people. Yeah, Our current brand ambassador, Benny Hurwitz, he's one of two of our brand ambassadors. The other one's my cousin, Joanne. But Joanne got the job because she's my cousin. She was born into this, uh, kind of, grew up in Tennessee. But a lot of respect for her because I grew up right here. It's super easy for me to get into this. She grew up right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Came up here to the university of Kentucky. Got a summer job here and just never left. Hmm. So she fell in love with it almost as an adult, yeah. which I think is harder than what I did. But Benny, even you know, uh, even further that way, he was somebody that fell in love with wild turkey and was just in Washington D.C. telling everybody, "Why aren't you drinking wild turkey?" Yep. Yeah, you know, people would show up to Jack Rose and they'd want some. You know a a certain twenty-three year old whiskey, and Benny's like, "Nah, Uh, have you had cheese of gold foil? (laughs) Yeah, right. It's even cheaper and it's vintage. Um, And he would lead USBG classes, and he would show up to things here at the distillery or throughout the nation, and built a relationship with me and my family. And like we, the only guy that reps our brand that's not a Russell is somebody that just built a relationship with us, and so uh, that kind of stuff matters. I mean, everything from Doing barrel picks with you all, to most of my best friends in the in the in the industry, some of my best friends in the world, my girlfriend. All this stuff is based off of whiskey. Yeah. Its relationships I built through this awesome liquid, yeah. this kind of thing we all love and share. Yeah, the relationships in the community are probably the thing that keep us going. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so let me ask you a
1: darker question. Oh, all right, that, that I know some of our listeners are probably passing through their brains right now which is talking about community we're talking about the people we're talking about the love affair and the relationship with the whiskey at the same time this hobby is getting a little bit of a flipping problem where the passion might have run amok and people who have access to some of these bottles are grabbing them up and then selling them on for multiples of the price they paid. Do you... I, I don't want to lead you too much with the question, but what do you think the future holds for that corner of the the enterprise, the hobby, hmm. the industry?
3: The The worst of the offenders in that group I don't consider part of our community. Right. Because they're not in it. They're in it to make money Yeah, I mean it's it's where the world is They're just doing to whiskey What people are doing with NFTs It's the same type of thing Wow. Um, They're doing the same thing to whiskey That's happened to sneakers I like shoes Uh, I can't buy any shoes I like Because somebody writes a program To be able to buy a shoe The second it comes out And then they sell it for $2,000 online Mm -hmm. I don't discourage people From selling secondary whiskey If that's what you want to do cool I got a lot of friends that sell whiskey on the secondary but I definitely think that there's a way to go about it if you're taking a whiskey and you see this a lot if you're taking a whiskey um, I mean this is just capitalism a little bit if you're taking a whiskey that you know is about $300 in worth and it's a vintage and you want to make a little money and you sell it for $400 and somebody buys it so be it cool that person's buying it to drink cool but if you're buying whiskey from a guy, and you're in the know, and you're buying it for 300 and then you're selling it to somebody for 1000 I don't like that. No. I don't. Because I am a believer that this stuff is supposed to be drank. This is, this is a consumer good this is supposed to be consumed this is not this is even a sneaker uh, that, is, that is to be worn and shown off this is not a trophy this is and if you buy whiskey to put on your shelf and just sit pretty please give it to me I will drink it you can fill that same pretty bottle up with iced tea and no one will be any the wiser um, if you're buying whiskey as an investment you do you uh, I don't think that's the right way, way to be thinking about these products There are other things you can invest in, trust me, that is safer, that is going to make you just as much money in the long term. And you're not keeping a product that should be consumed away from people that will consume it. And that's the thing that I hate is some of the best whiskey, and I think y'all agree, some of the best whiskey in the world is vintage. Mm -hmm. Or it's harder to get, just rare in general. Mm -hmm. And, And that's Everything from modern hard-to-get bottles like Japanese whiskeys mm-hmm. to uh, vintage stuff like um, 70s and 80s Wild Turkey to scotch from the eight, 17 or 1800s. Yeah. Some of the coolest most interesting whiskeys in the world. I wish we were in a place where most people that wanted to try them could get the chance to do so and wouldn't have to put a second mortgage on their house or... <laughs> um, now, I'm lucky enough that I'm in Kentucky, and I will say this to you listening. If you want to get into this world, if you want to drink these crazy whiskeys that you think you'll never get a chance, yes, you will. Ask. Talk to people. Mm-hmm. Join a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't matter. If you're in Lawrenceburg, this is, well, this is not the middle of nowhere because it's in the middle of two cities, but this is small. I mean, this is a 10,000-person town. We've got a Walmart and a highway. The highway is probably the only reason it exists besides the distilleries. If you live in Lawrenceburg You can find other people That have good whiskey Around here Now you might have to Drive 30 minutes To be a part of The Lexington Bourbon Society or whatever it is Uh, I don't even know If that's the name Of a bourbon society I think it is Um, It is now It is now (laughs) I just made it I'm pretty sure That exists Uh, But There are people Around you Almost no matter Where you're at That are in this community That are good people Yep I agree That that honestly um, most of them are just itching at the chance to find a newbie and be like, let me show you something, <laughs> my guy, yeah. uh, or "Or my lady. Like, let me give you some b from 10 years ago that will blow your mind. Let me give you this 20-something-year-old uh, bottle of whatever esoteric whiskey it is. Or uh, even just, I've never had whiskey before, and the person's like, let me open up a bottle of rare breed. Yeah, exactly. Let me open up a bottle of uh of this private knob creek pick that we got that's 15 years old. Yeah. It doesn't have to be super old. It it could be, you know, a single barrel of four roses that you thought was interesting. But but there's somebody out there that will let you try this. You just have to be also a part of the community. And that's one thing I do like about whiskey mm-hmm. is that um I see all the time somebody will be online and they're like, man, I never got to try the 98. That's a bummer. It's the one whiskey I've always wanted. It, you know, it's my bucket list whiskey. And they'll say that online. Next thing you know, somebody sent them a free sample in the mail.
0: Yep. 100%. Happens all the time. 100%. 100%. It, it's, it's such an interesting aspect of, and it's funny, you used the word hobby before, and I used to dislike that word associated <laughs> with whiskey drinking. I'm, I'm starting to warm up to it a bit more. But it's so interesting that this hobby is a community-based hobby. Meaning that people, they get excited about it and they want to share and they want to bring you into that that inner circle of friends so you have someone to drink with, right? I think that's such an important aspect of drinking is drinking it with someone else.
1: But, but I also think that's where so much of the, the hurt and the frustration comes with the flipping, which is that's a bottle that could have been shared, that could have been open, yeah. that could have been amongst the rest of the community, and all you did was pick it up, flip it, and make bank. This is so much more than money. This is so much mm-hmm. more than making bank. It's making friends. It's growing mm-hmm. a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: it's, a, it's a memory, I, th- I think, especially with food and beverage. my My fondest and probably strongest memories are things that I've eaten and drank, and the people that are associated with those yeah, yeah. foods and drinks. Absolutely. And the thing that I hate, uh, and I will, I'm calling anybody that's listening that does this stuff. I'm calling you out. Stop it, please. What I've seen happen is there's so much money in it now. You'll have a person go to a liquor store, and they'll spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000, 100,000, however much money you're spending a year in the liquor store. And so what I've seen a lot is somebody that has access to this liquid, mm-hmm. uh, and they have they 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 get it liquor store owner, uh, bar owner that wh- whoever gets it, they've got a customer that helps pay their bills. Well, here I'll give you this bottle without anybody else even getting a chance. Yep. And a lot of times it's that type of stuff, or sometimes it's the it's the owner that's taking that bottle and then flipping it online. Yeah. It's it's yep. it's when yep. no one else gets a chance that I don't like it. Now, if you have a super rare whiskey and there's only a thousand or so bottles in the world, and you're selling it online at a bunch of money because you bought it for a bunch of money, I get that. But it is the uh, it's the fact that like, and I know Sazerac and Buffalo Trace has come out against this stuff, so I'm mm-hmm. not saying anything against them. Mm-hmm. Um, Because I know they get frustrated at times. You're taking a product like Blanton's, which is not an extremely expensive product, and for most people that don't have connects in the liquor world, they got to spend hundreds of dollars online for it. That is so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, and that is not the way to do it. It is not. So if you're selling secondary, or if you have like rare and vintage whiskey, or if you're a shop. Because there's uh, one shop here in Kentucky, there's a lot of shops out in California that do that, that sell specifically rare and vintage goods. It's going to be high-priced because it's rare and vintage. Mm-hmm. But the difference would be a liquor store owner that's getting modern stuff <laughs> and then it never hitting the shelf, yeah, ever.
2: ever. It's yeah. either
3: going to your best customer or uh, it's going to your uncle or whoever it is or yourself who's flipping it online. And that's the wrong way to go about it. It's when you're keeping everyone else out of, uh, with you know, they don't have an opportunity to even try the liquid they want to try because that's what this stuff is made for. If it was up to Jimmy, everything we'd make be $50 or less. <laughs> yeah. He, he he doesn't even like that we charge $150, $250 sometimes for our bottles. Mm-hmm. He does not like it because <laughs> uh, to him, $50 is still expensive. He drives yeah. a 90, uh, 98 Ford Ranger. Candy apple red <laughs> uh, Doesn't even have like Real back seats It's got those back seats That when you sit in them They turn towards each other So you gotta You know you're knocking knees If they ever sitting <laughs> In the bag with you And his house might be Worth a hundred thousand uh, dollars Cause he's a creature habit He's had the The, the house for Forty or fifty years And uh, you know the car is a vintage now from 98. <laughs> <laughs> uh, think how much bad. you would go for. Jimmy uh, Russell's 98 oh vintage oh, it, it truck. it would, yeah. actually. Wait, six, six digits. Wait, no, no, no. I disagree Man, with everything you have said. <laughs> anybody that wants to buy Jimmy's truck, hit me up. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I agree. There's, there's definitely... Well, I mean, this happens in every industry that starts making money. But for anybody that that's their main yeah. goal is to make money. You're not in my community. Yeah. You're not.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: I got friends that sell stuff secondary, buy, sell, and trade. When I go to their house, they open up those good bottles for me. Yep. They're in my community. Yeah. And I'm not just talking, they don't have to open them up for me. But if you have nice liquid and you don't share any of it, or you don't enjoy it yourself even, you can be a curmudgeon and not have friends. That's cool. <laughs>
2: uh,
3: I got people in my life like that. Sometimes I feel like that's, so, like, I don't want to <laughs> see anybody for a week. Open up that bottle and drink it. What are you doing? Yeah. Yep. Yep. What are you doing? Invest in to something else. Just get out. Get, go away. Like get out. It, it's the. It's a disgusting side of uh, the type of economy we're in. Is I can't buy a PlayStation Five if I want one because there are computer programs that people put on there that will. But be VPN to look like they're coming from all over, and they're buying them up right away faster than a human being can 100%. get them. And so now I got to get on StockX and buy one for eight hundred dollars. I'm not doing it. <laughs> you <laughs> and me both. I keep looking for
0: PS5. i so like, there it is on StockX and, for seven ninety eight. <laughs> yep. You've been looking at the same. Me,
3: me and you have been looking at the exact same PlayStation. Uh, but the, the whiskey has turned that way. Yeah. Sneakers have yeah. turned that way. Yeah. Any luxury commodity good in America right now. There's some tech savvy 20 something year old dudes who are making some money off people with uh m- m- got more money than sense, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
3: Um, I hate it, yeah. I hate it, shame on y'all, yeah. <laughs> and they don't care, they're laughing to the bank, you yeah. know. I got my money, uh, but as far as whiskey's is concerned, it, whiskey is not the same as video games or shoes. You can play that video game later. It's going to be the exact same video game. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't care about the PlayStation Five. I could have paid twelve hundred bucks last year when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Or I can pay seven hundred and fifty dollars right now and get one. I don't care. Yeah, I can wait till this Christmas hopefully and yep. find one. If yep. I don't, I wait till yep. next same. Christmas. Yep. I'm gonna play it. Yeah. <laughs> Whiskey changes, and and it 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 also is hoarded. In a way where it won't be used. Nobody's ba- play. Nobody buys Playstations to set up on a shelf and just sit.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just. I'm not gonna open that game. And something
3: like that. shoes, yeah. they usually are going to be worn to be shown off. Now you might only wear it one time because of the expense of the shoe, or you might be wearing it literally too put up to show off. Yeah. But it is. It, it's. It's art in a way that you you're supposed to look at it. Yeah. Yep. That is the reason it exists. Mm-hmm. Because when you're buying 500 to to $1,000 pair of shoes, it's not for function. Yeah. Yeah. You're it's not hiking for in them. Yeah, yeah it's for yeah. form. Yeah, 100%. You, you're yep. not buying eight dollars pair of vintage Jordans to go play basketball in at the Y. Um, you're not. Well, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> Somebody might be rich <laughs> enough to do that. Shouts out. Uh, but whiskey is made to consume, to enjoy. And the fact that it has turned into this almost NFT-like thing, yeah. it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, So I I I don't hate everybody that sells whiskey online but I hate everybody that uh that keeps others from being able to get it. Mm.
0: Yeah, and th- and that's and and that's been our stance is, you know, when we when we do two barrels with you, you're going to have 150 bottles per barrel, mm-hmm. 300 people. We've got around 9,000 people desperate for that and they're they're simply not all going to get it. And um and it's when we have nation members who see other people flipping it and they mm-hmm. say, I would have paid you my hundred and one and I would have opened it the second I got it. And I would have shared it with friends. But the only way I can get it is if I pay this person five hundred bucks or eight hundred, whatever it is, and, and you can understand the frustration. So I see Absolutely. I see exactly what you're saying.
3: Um and it's just, I mean, it' it's something we're all dealing with. Yep. Us less than Buffalo. Um that. Yep. Everybody less than Buffalo. Yeah. Yep. But everybody is dealing with it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Everybody's making something that's being flipped right now, and some of it I can understand because they're vintages, and you're buying and selling and trading all the time. Mm-hmm. And oh, I bought this for like four hundred dollars a couple of years ago, and it's went up in price, so I'm going to sell one bottle of her for. Six or seven hundred dollars, and then I can get two bottles of this other thing I'm going to drink. Yeah, that's cool. Yep, that yep. is cool. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it's you know it's the PlayStation thing. I'm going to go in this liquor store. and I'm going to buy. Hey Joe, when does your blends come in? Oh, it comes in on Tuesdays. I'll be in every Tuesday, and I'm going to buy all four cases you get every Tuesday. I mean, I don't think anybody's getting that much blends, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's that type of guy. Yeah, yeah. Who's not letting him? He doesn't even any, let anybody else even play ball. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I'm the only one that can play basketball here. It's a uh, it's that kind of stuff that makes me mad. Yeah. Yeah. But eh, it is what it is.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, get us out of here on something happy. Yeah, cuz you you took us into and
3: something you know, that's me. real,
1: you know dark. me, yeah. you know. Philosopher by trade, you know me.
0: So you you and I Bruce were on a this Campari Zoom meeting along with with Ryan. Mhm and you talked about some potential new things coming down that you were excited about. And, and I know one of them, I didn't know if it was a definite or more of a potential, but I think one of them was the possibility of Russell's picks coming out at barrel-proof, non-chill-filtered, and it, is that going to be a thing? Is that something you're looking forward to the next five years, or is it gonna be kicked down the the road or what has you excited Uh, i I think that
3: that is on its way in the next couple years hopefully um i was telling y'all this before for the first time in 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 my career at wild turkey i finally found somebody to help me champion this program i think he's a you know a vp level person in campari Mm-hmm. So has the juice He's got the sway To make stuff happen This is not just A lot of times When me and dad are like Well they're telling us We can do it Well usually the them <laughs> Is a brand level person Yeah So Lower than dad is In the company On the totem pole Gotcha Just on a different Side of things Well, this is somebody That's high enough up That he He, he can make some stuff happen You know He doesn't have to ask Anybody for permission Um, And, and he's Realized how influential our program is, how cool this program can be, um, that this is the thing that our consumers are really most passionate about when you see... Because um, I, I presented to to my boss about this just yesterday, actually. Um, I wrote about the uh, consumer loyalty and excitement with our private barrels in particular. Hmm. And... What I mean by that is, a lot of people I see out there are not first-time buyers of Russell's picks. Yeah, they're looking, and there's a lot of people like this, and it's not just Russells. Like I hear people, hey, uh, you know anybody else got four roses picks around here? You know anybody else has got it, people following, but if you're a Russell's picks person, you're probably getting Russell's picks
2: because
3: mm-hmm. there's lots of good ones everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also excitement around this stuff that we see that doesn't even really happen for most of our normal releases where you'll see somebody write some kind of a review online. they will be getting 99 out of 100 and they tried, you know, Joe Schmo, Green Hulk 7, Russell's pick from (laughs) Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's the best. And you know what? It might be the best Russell's barrel because honestly, like, most of the best ones that I've ever had even though like, there are certain people, you all are certainly a group that I think always does a really good job picking your barrels. There are other folks. Uh, we've talked about Jamie Ferris earlier today. He's mm-hmm. picked some incredible barrels. Mm-hmm. There's been certain bourbon groups that have picked some incredible barrels. I remember one from Blackout, the bourbon group, that was really good one year. But most of the time, it just comes from a mom and pop liquor store where they got in here with dad on the right day and he just happened to roll out the best barrel. Yeah. And somebody <laughs> be like... And, you know, and, and David Jennings or, or our buddy Ryan that we're going to drink with a little bit later on tonight yeah. or a couple of my buddies from Moonshine Down in Austin, somebody like that that knows me and knows that I'll be into it. be like, have you tried the barrel from <laughs> Liquor Warehouse 4? <four?" laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. from some random small town? <laughs> like, no why? and They're like, it's the best Brussels yeah. pick I've ever had. And they're right. It usually wow. is really good. Uh, <laughs> that stuff is it's it's super cool, and it's that kind of excitement. We yeah. don't see that for any of our other stuff. Yeah. And part of that is the same thing we're talking about with uh, the secondary market. The other stuff people get super excited about is not obtainable, realistically, for your average consumer. I think oftentimes our opinions get skewed because it's like, oh, Russell's 98. Most people don't have $250 to spend on a a bottle of liquor. Yep. For a lot of people, that's a month's worth of groceries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Even the Masters keeps. It's $150 is asking a lot. And there's limited quantities of these things. Mm Mm-hmm. These Russell's picks, if you've got a decent little liquor store near you, they're going to have some kind of a private pick. It's probably pretty good. Might be us, might be Sazerac, you know, might be Beam. Beam has put out some insane um, picks. I'll be like, How old's that Knob Creek? And somebody'll be like, 15. They're giving 15 year old barrels away. What are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it'll be really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, That stuff, I think, is like, it's so much easier to obtain it's so much more realistic for your yeah. average consumer to get a hold of and it's honestly just as good a lot of times as the super rare don't kill me compare. everybody please go out and buy this year's master's keep but uh <laughs> which will be excellent like all our other master's keeps are and they are they're more unique right they're they're a packaged on purpose product mm-hmm. compared to private barrels or accidents complete accidents
2: mm. we didn't go
3: in trying to make any of these they just ended up that way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Uh um, oh, like that. I like that view of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so these are honestly usually just as cool. A lot of times, and it's a Russell's pig. You can go get it for fifty or sixty bucks. Yeah. It's that's super cool. You can go get a Four Roses pig. You can get just about all these picks for less than a hundred. Mm-hmm. And to me, that it's it's so neat. And the, if you're a whiskey nerd and you're like me and don't have that much money, uh, that's where it's at. Is asking the other whiskey in another part of the community. Yeah. Um, oh, what liquor store do you go to? Who do you trust to get your private picks? And, yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's the reason why people get online and go crazy for your all's picks. It's because people trust the picks that you all make. They trust in your all's process. They trust in your all's palate. And they know it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And um, if you can find that person locally, you've won. Yeah. You've won. Here in Kentucky, there's a big box chain store that does, I think does a really good job. There's some mama pops that do really good jobs. Mm -hmm. It's finding that one. There's one not that far away from my house. Then if anybody's like, I don't want to go to a a chain liquor store. I want to go to a locally owned liquor store. Who's going to have a decent Mm -hmm. selection and who's going to have some cool picks? I know who to tell them Mm -hmm. because that person's been doing it forever. And they're in the community. Yeah. Right, yeah, and it's affordable when you go in yeah. there, and they're gonna, and they're gonna tell you their opinions. Oh, we think this one's even better than this one because it's got. That's the stuff to me that's so cool is when you walk into a store and they're also in the community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? They're like, oh you wanted this no 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 let me tell you about this other thing i've got going on that's even cooler and cheaper or yeah. cooler and then the same price range yeah. uh it's complete opposite of some of these other liquor stores around here i was in one not too long ago i walked in they didn't i mean they don't know who i am i don't walk around with a name badge or anything <laughs> um but i walked into a non-mama pop liquor store and i was picking up some stuff for a training uh, believe it or not i don't get any whiskey for free uh i gotta go and buy it at the liquor store like everybody else does swipe a card well, I went in there to get a couple bottles of Russell's and a bottle of Long Branch I was doing a training, and the lady sat there and tried to upsell me on a, a competitor's brand for like 20 minutes when I was just trying to leave. Like She wouldn't even let me leave. She was desperate to, for me to get that upsell. Uh, was there some of, employee bonus on the upsell? I don't know. Maybe. But it's one, It's I just wanted her to leave me alone, and it's a complete opposite experience I have a lot of times in Kentucky where... I'll pick up a bottle, and they'll be like, well, "Why'd you get that? Oh, that's cool. You know that kind of thing." They're, they're just so excited that I'm in there buying money, uh, spending money, and getting whiskey. Yeah, that they want to ask me about what's going on. Or my favorite thing in Kentucky is when you find—I uh, don't know what you call them—the young nerd. You'll find a, a young man or a young woman that's working in there. That they're in. They're, they've joined the liquor store and they fall in love with it. Yeah. And then they just want to spend the next thirty minutes telling me have you had four Roses small batch? <laughs> and every time I love I'm like, nope, tell me about it, you know? Because uh, I want to hear that person tell uh, me for yeah. the next 15, 20 minutes That's about cool. why they love it. And it's always either, there's a connection always. Yeah. That yeah. It's the first thing I had when I came to work here. Or Al Young came in here one time and I shook his hand. <laughs> um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah. tell me more. You know, feed that into my veins because that's the stuff (laughs) I live for uh, is when in the best compliment or like the coolest thing I hear is when I leave a place or I've been to a place and uh, this happened very recently. This is the type of stuff I'm like, dang, I'm not that bad at my job, I guess. Uh, (laughs) There's a place out in California that's buying some private barrels from us. And the guy said, I'm buying private barrels from y'all because I sent in on a seminar that Bruce did. And um, he was very personable and came and talked to us and stuff afterwards. And that meant a lot to us. And so now we want to buy these private barrels. That's the stuff I live for. Yeah, Is when that relationship building, that personal aspect uh, can make a sale over. Because what I hate doing, I squirm anytime they ask me to do this or I have to do this. Hey, I want to take your uh, well spot and I can give you a six case discount deal. And uh -uh. uh-uh. No, that ain't for me. I know that stuff (laughs) has to happen, right? That's how bars make money. That's how uh, suppliers make money. I hate it. I hate doing that kind of stuff. It's the, the opposite of who we are. I want you to drink my whiskey because you like me and you like my whiskey. Yeah. And if you don't, that's okay. That's, mm-hmm. it's, it's perfectly okay. I'll come in here and drink somebody else's good whiskey. If you don't have any wh- whiskey at your bar, eh, maybe. <laughs> you better have some pretty good beer, some mezcal, or good tequila or something in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, again, talking about the relationship stuff still, it's, uh, that's the stuff that I love. That's the stuff that I love. Hopefully, we'll be at a place tonight uh, drinking some good stuff where everybody's uh pretty friendly. They're not too bad, I guess. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Oh, hey. Thanks, man. I got one question for you all. Oh, right. Ooh. What is the most interesting thing that you've tried recently? Not best. That's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And you can't cop out and say it's one of the things we had today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even though it is one of the things <laughs> we had today, <laughs> funnily enough. Well, what time period are we talking about? What time span here? Last month? Since the last, last time I've seen you. S- oh, oh, gosh. Oh, I, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Right. I'm going to pull it for you tonight.
0: It's going to be that exact uh, thing that I've yeah, got yeah, in yeah, the yeah. car oh, for you. I know exactly what you're and,
1: talking about. Uh, and it was a recommendation that came down from Anthony Levinson at Roma. And so you talk about people, you talk about community, you talk about who you trust. And so he told me this little thing and I said, that's going to be perfect. And I picked it up and I picked up a bottle for Joshua. And within this episode, I'll talk about it after this portion of the interview. Cool. So I don't want to reveal
0: too much about what I'm pouring for you. God, that is a really good and difficult question. I can think of a I can think of a recent one. I don't want to name the distiller yet because we haven't because it's it was a cask sample. <laughs> oh, okay. Um from an American producer who is producing malt whiskey. And I tasted this cask sample, and if you had told me that it was a twelve to fifteen year old Glenn Farkless or something, or you know, just some heavily sherried space side whiskey oh I say, wow oh yeah of course yep definitely that that makes good sense the fact that it came from an american producer that was able to nail a style down that i found really intriguing really intriguing so i, I like that they're able to take a style out of its origin and reproduce it it's uh elsewhere
3: I think I might have said this on the last time I was on your podcast. I wish that's the way American whiskey would go is these like cool, weird regional styles where like certain people make single malt, certain people make corn whiskey, certain people make rye whiskey. I just think there's so much opportunity to do neat styles of whiskey here based on all our weird uh, climate differences and geographical differences Mm -hmm. and what grains are available where and what water is available. Yeah, that kind of stuff's super neat.
1: Well, you were talking earlier about Indiana Rye getting its own designation.
3: I was super excited to see that. Yeah, the governor uh, signed into law that Indiana Rye is going to be its own distinct uh, spirits designation, as far as the state of Indiana is concerned. Yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah, how right. that works.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I think I think Tennessee makes similar claims. Yeah. But it's a Tennessee claim, not a
3: federal claim. Federal
0: claim. Um, yeah. but
3: I'm super excited to see that. I love the. And it's funny that they It's just now called that Because that's literally I, I mean that's what I've called it yeah. On the road Because I don't know What other word to call it So it's like It's just Indiana style rye whiskey It's just 95% rye uh, I love a lot of their stuff Yep I Agreed. mean uh, a lot of these uh, Small craft producers That are now making their own stuff Built their brands off of MGP rye Yep yeah. Indiana rye Yeah I mean MGP so big yep. It's it, it, it could be Indiana rye uh, <laughs> Right Yeah It's awesome, Mm. and it is its own distinct thing. If you pour me an Indiana rye and you pour me a Kentucky rye, I'm going to know almost 99% of the time which one's which because they each have such distinct flavor profiles. Uh, They have a different finish. They usually have a different nose, and it's almost to the point where I've had so much Indiana rye that that's my default when I think of rye now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We make rye, and I don't think of our rye as the fall. I'm like, oh, there's yeah. like rye whiskey, like Indiana rye, and then there's the Kentucky style, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, because I've just had so much yeah. of it. Um, yeah, I was su- super excited to see that. And I, why can't there be Washington malt? Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I yep. mean? Yeah, yep. they're working. Um, on it. Yeah, they are. Uh, I just think there, there's cool, interesting stuff made just about anywhere. So what's your answer to your question? I just was up in Chicago and tried some of that 15 year, like privately done Willet rod. It was mm-hmm. incredible, uh, to be honest. Just absolutely incredible. I'm a man of simple tastes though, so probably the like the most interesting stuff I try is usually just a private barrel that someone has given me. I, I just finished off a private barrel And I've, I'd had it before and then went back And, and retried it during COVID Because I didn't want to be going to the liquor store or anything So was, I was actually starting to drink up A lot of my back stock yeah. And there's a brewery up in Chicago um, That came down and started picking barrels for, Really through a good buddy of mine That worked for them a guy named PK And gave me their Off Color Brewing Is the name of the, the brewery they purchased oh, yeah, a, no a, a, a private barrel And I think they've had more than one But the one that I recently had God, it was so good Dark and fruity And a little bit like these McBrayers Just tasted four or five years older than it Mm. was And was absolutely delicious I tell you, the best thing I've had in the past year Was the um, (laughs) lab sample for Rare Breed Rye (laughs) Honestly uh, uh, To talk about probably my favorite thing we're doing right now It even tasted better in the lab And very few times, I don't know Anybody that works in this industry will know what I'm talking about. A lot of consumers probably think, like, we have an idea, and we do it, and it works. No. <laughs> uh, most of the time when we're trying our first samples, like we're trying samples for some stuff for this year and next right now, a lot of times it's like, none of this stuff's very good. Wow. How can we make it taste better? Yeah. How can we p- put all these things that we think are just pretty good, blend them together, and make something spectacular? Red Breed was the complete opposite. Uh, it just worked. Yeah, the the... Oh. Young lady Shaylin Gammon, who is on our product development team on our technical team over here in the lab, helps Dad out a, tr- uh, a ton. Helped me and uh, or had me and Dad come to the lab to try samples. The very first day we tried it, I was like, "Oh, wow! <laughs> oh, this stuff's good. That that might be the best thing. I don't know if so, some d- mescal maybe." <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so there's two things
0: um, because I, I mentioned to you my most recent one. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a head turner, but there was one and we did that. We tasted this on a podcast and it's a mezcal. Shit, Jason, maybe you remember the name because I don't. I don't. No, Called a hack ahead. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but we, we tasted through seven mezcals and there was one that it tasted like it smelled and tasted like all things Christmas. Really? It was fruitcakes and pine needles and Christmas wreaths and just like yep. all the it makes me think of um, like an Amari almost, like a Braulio. Yeah, 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 right. Like the flavors were within there, but just with an agave backdrop. Interesting. Like it was, it was, it was wild. I think Jason's looking for it now. So while he's looking for that, so once he finds it, we'll have to tell you because I know you I love definitely want some. Yeah, so you, it's you need uh, to do that.
3: Well, it's like when I when I'm on the road or when I was on the road because I was at the distillery for a little while. Hopefully, I get back on the road hmm. uh, here pretty soon. When I would travel, especially to California and Texas, always the most interesting thing I would try that year would be a mezcal. A mezcal, yeah, because somebody would have. Muled over some weird pachuga mm-hmm. in some water bottles where the labels have been ripped off uh-huh. you know and we're drinking that in somebody's backyard at a barbecue and it it tastes in the best way possible you know like you've uh, filtered some amazing agave product through a sock, <laughs> uh, or something weird, you know. It's like somebody Keep talking. I'm almost there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like somebody's been chewing <laughs> bubble gum while they drank this, and then like spit it back out into the bottle or whatever. Yeah. It's got this weirdest, funky, vegetal, earthy, mm-hmm. um, almost meaty flavor at times, uh, and that stuff to me is just. It's wild. or oh, the worldly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, really it is, is supernatural in the flavors that they can make, and it's just so neat. So, so the one that I'm talking about, the producer
0: is Mayalen, M-A-Y-A-L-E-N. Oh, okay. And the agave is I don't know called Cupri- Cupriata, which was a new one to me. Uh, we'll send you a picture. Okay. Um, Mezcal Artisanal Borre- Borrego just f- yeah, it was, f- it was absolutely phenomenal but but you know and i realize we are you know an, an hour and 46 in into this conversation mm-hmm.
3: but, and uh mezcal is one of those things the more basic and like homemade the label looks the better it's the gonna better be. it's gonna <laughs> be. <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah <laughs>
0: and then when you hear stories like mm-hmm. our friend robert's like and then i had this ricea you know, which is basically mezcal made in a state where you can't call it mezcal. Yeah, where they distilled it in the radiator of a truck. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, let mm-hmm. me at that. That sounds yeah. interesting. And they they did you know they did it in a a tree, tree trunk. trunk. Yeah. Like all right, okay. You know, and just people making do with what they have, producing these wild spirits.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so this is my final question for you. Sure. You talked about rare bird rye just working. Now, for me, my, I I told you this, I love wild turkey rye. When Cornerstone came out, I said, oh, gosh, that is just, it was great. It was great. And I still have about three quarters of my bottle. Did that just work out? Like, do you find that with your eyes or Or was Cornerstone like a lot of some of your other projects where it's, Iteration after iteration after iteration until you get it to where you want it to be or to where your dad wanted it to be.
3: Uh, well, I mean, the rye whiskey was so good, the winning in the Cornerstone, it somewhat just worked out. Finding that right blend of rye, because it is a blend of a few years there. Yeah. Um, the oldest stuff being around 11. And there's a, some stuff that's a couple years younger than that in there, too. The 11 was so good... But it was so strong in flavor hmm. that we it, it it was tough for us to you know blend that in a way to make that product work the way it does where yeah. it's balanced. Um, the older rye had a little bit too much wood influence. Um, it had started to not turn sour, um, but rye whiskey ages very quickly, and so it 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 was starting to. It was starting to to age in a negative way. Uh, mm. I think that's almost all whiskeys have like a peak. Some of them sure. peak at 6, 8, 10, 12. Yeah. I've never met a whiskey that peaked at 4. Yeah. But I've also never met a whiskey that peaked at 20.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, So you have to catch it. And that 11 was just starting to turn that corner. Mm-hmm. And so that, that little bit of younger whiskey, I think, really helped it. And it was hard to figure out what that balance should be. And so, unlike the others, we knew we had incre- – like, this whiskey is a hit. This is a banger. Um, when that happens, we're feeling pretty good because then yeah. we just have to, to, to deviate a little bit one way or the other. It's when – the hardest part is when you have a lot of whiskey that's just good. Yeah. Instead of special. Yeah. Um, very, very few products that anybody does are special in that way. And everybody that's listening in has tried something when they try to, they're like, "This is special. This is yes. insane." Yeah. yeah, That happens in our lab sometimes. Russell's ninety-eight was one. Mm-hmm. I had no clue what it was. They weren't calling it Russell's ninety-eight. The juice just came from ninety-eight. I remember going up to the lab. Dad's like, "Go up there and try that. Tell me what you think." And me looking, it's one of those times like I literally dropped my jaw. Yeah, I looked at him. You know, like a fish out of water. Like what? Blew my mind yeah. the 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 complexity yeah, the and also the, the deliciousness yeah. of that whiskey. Yep. That is one thing that is I think really hard to find with old whiskeys like that. Guess what's not hard? Keeping a whiskey in a barrel long enough that it turns complex. <laughs> that's how nature works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's esterification. The longer you keep it in that whiskey, yeah. the longer, and more complex those flavor chains become. Yeah. But take get that complexity in a in a old whiskey in a really anything older than 13 or 14 years old and to keep that just objectively delicious flavor that you get between I think depending on the story 6 and 12 for us 8 and 12 really mm-hmm. is when it really I mean that's why we do our private barrels in that age range all yeah. everything we've tried has been 8 to 11 that's when our stuff mostly hits its peak so 98 was something special. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then we've run into other stuff that we knew was special. The very first Masters Keep that came out of those old warehouses, like over at Old Taylor and O'Crow, like in that area.
0: Oh, it was the a 17 like the years cement old. floor
3: one. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. it was like 80 something proof, barrel proof.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, it did not taste like bourbon, in my opinion. Such a unique whiskey. So when you try stuff like that, you're like, oh, this is special. doesn't even necessarily even have to be like the best thing you've ever had because we talked about this earlier. I'm way more concerned with Let me try something I've never had before. Yeah. But it's that, also it's of quality. Yep, yep. Quality does matter, but a uh, uh, point of view matters to me even more almost. Mm, mm-hmm. If you if you come to me and you're making a wild turkey 751312 at 8 years old and it's 101 proof, it's probably going to be pretty good if you try to make it the same way we do and you know, if you you could probably make a pretty good one. I don't want it. Mm. We we do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Give me something I've not had. Yeah. Um I think a lot of craft distillers are doing that. Even yep. some of the big guys are doing that now. Mm-hmm. I've been begging Wild Turkey to make me a single barrel, barrel-proof, non-chill-filtered rye whiskey. I think I heard recently that, that Old Forster's doing that. Yeah. That mm-hmm. they're doing a single barrel, yeah. barrel-proof rye whiskey. Yep. Hey, I can't wait to try that. I can't wait. Because mm-hmm. I've had rye whiskey from them that I thought was pretty good, but I've never had anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's It's when somebody's doing something a little bit different like that that I'm... Sign me up. Whatever that costs, I'm going to buy a bottle because I want to see what it tastes like.
2: Yeah.
3: We're spoiled, so I've had a lot of fine whiskey, <laughs> right? That's what, that's what I drink. I drink fine whiskey and not not very good beer most of the time. <laughs> like 30, $30 bottles of whiskey and, you know, the cheapest beer you get, the dollar beer. <laughs> um, MGD for life. Absolutely. So, but uh, when I'm drinking something special, I want it to be different. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. yeah. That's why I can't wait to drink that mescal.
0: <laughs> need to make sure we, we'll make sure we, you get a bottle somehow. We have to cool. make sure we get a bottle somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I I think Elijah had. Uh, of course, this is off. That's what I need. <laughs> I need
3: a good. Uh, I need a good like, person with a connect down there that can mule me some stuff over. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. 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 We're we're working on it as well. We, yeah. We, also. Oh, <laughs> yep, yeah. Yeah. I gotta go Facetime my kid. <laughs> oh. Um, everything okay? I think everything's fine. But okay. I don't want to leave him hanging too long. Yeah. Um, okay. okay.
0: Well, let's say, th- let's say our thank yous. Oh. Or, wait. Yeah. Are, are we still recording? Thank you. What's happening? We're saying our thank yous. Oh, we're saying our thank yous. Thank you. <laughs> yeah,
1: thanks everybody. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Editing. <laughs> Sincere thanks to Bruce, not just for the time that he gave us for the interview, but the entire day and evening that we spent with him. Such an an easy guy to hang out with as I said leading into the interview such an easy guy to talk spirits with yeah. passionate guy yeah. about spirits and the day absolutely flew past
0: I was really surprised to know that that our pick was actually the first of the year they 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 had just opened up barrel picks again on premise kind of on the DL and he said you know we're going to be opening it up more, but I want you guys to know you're the first. That, that, I don't know. That makes me feel a little, a little special, Jason.
1: Yeah. I'm just thinking back to, to bungs that were popped and casks that were tasted and, and kind of what it looked like around the warehouse that, that really nobody had been in for a good 18 months. Yeah.
0: Yeah, isn't that, that wild?
1: that's pretty remarkable to think about as well
0: that that's a good point, right? Because the last two barrels we picked, of course, we went to wild Turkey to pick them, but it wasn't in the rick house, it was in a in a part of the visitor center, so we couldn't even pick in the warehouse then, but we got to go back and just such a special little place to be by the river near the bridge.
1: <laughs> I also just want to throw in a, a very special thank you to Ryan Alves who who invited us into Justin's House of Bourbon. Mm-hmm. And we managed to get a hotel room just two blocks from Justin's house Basically. of bourbon. Yep. That made for a jolly nice end to the day as well. And and Ryan opened oh some real gosh. treats for us Boy, as well. Three of which were our own releases, which and <laughs> and again back to what I said earlier about about the kind of the social nature of drinking uh, the mezcal, drinking our last two wild turkey picks and and drinking our undisclosed twenty uh, four year old bourbon, that, you know, all of which Ryan opened just just for the celebration. Yeah. was so cool, so very cool. Uh, and so, Ryan, if you're listening, thanks ever so much for, for doing that and opening your doors, getting to hang out with Bruce in that environment yeah. as well. Yep. And then you and I just, just plodding back to our hotel room. Somewhat disappointingly, there was no final pint of beer. Uh, the, the the beer establishment had closed down it, it, it had sh- while, while
0: we are off yeah, drinking but a, bourbon. But I was also lobbying against it. uh, Yes, you were. You were, foolishly. It it was a long day, Jason. It would have just ended in bad decisions. But the the more you lobby
1: against a final beer, the more we have to find one. And and then what did we do? Didn't we go back and drink? We went back Uh, and drank a lot. (laughs) What what did... Oh, gosh. What was the the sherry you brought? Manzanilla? Uh, Yes, that's
0: right. That's right. I brought... So I had purchased a couple bottles of this um, Manzanilla in Rama by Barbadio. And it was one that w- that our friend John K., right, Polish John, was, was really interested in. And so he and I actually went in on a few bottles of that and <laughs> about, about 12 or 18 other bottles, mostly variations of Manzanilla and Fino and... And, and some others and but that Manzanilla was just it was
1: excellent,
0: excellent. What a wonderful way to end the evening. But we also included, we had some cask samples that we had to go through, and some things that you had tasted that you needed me to taste so we can get a green light on things or not get a green light on things. And so, and you know we've mentioned this in the podcast before. You know normally when you and I select casks, we're doing it together. And we're doing it earlier in the day because that's when your <laughs> your palate is. <laughs>
1: we're not doing it at eleven thirty after a day of selecting right? casks and then drinking with friends.
0: <laughs> however, however, uh, you know, I think we talked about this before. We enjoy tasting those cast samples at the end of the day too, because you want to see what that whiskey's doing on on a spent palate, right? On on just one that has had three meals and various drinks. Like, is it still <laughs> quaffable? It, it's in and, and the comparison that I made in a previous episode was you're a band going into a studio. You want to hear what your music sounds like on the best speakers in the world. And you want to hear what your music sounds like on the worst speakers in the world. And if you're comfortable with both, you have a gem. And, and I, the same rings true with whiskey. Taste it in the morning, taste it in the evening. Do you like it in both occasions?
1: And we heard that from Jane Bowie at Maker's Mark, where they yeah. talked about give, giving out samples to their team and saying, "Take it home, yep, Dr- drink yep. it, drink yep. it of an evening, drink it after dinner, drink it before bed. Come back, give us feedback, tell us what you find when you do that." Yep. And so, yeah, the, the the conditions certainly were not our normal conditions for selection, but they certainly put those samples through their paces uh, after a. Barbons. Correct.
0: And, and you already vetted them. And so I got to taste them on the spent palate. So you tried them on with, with the good speakers. I tried them I on did. with the bad speakers. And, and we both agreed we shall select those casks. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's great. So it was a blast. So speaking of, I mean, the, the, I kind of feel like this is almost a segue into our own news segment. And I thought it would be good to, to share a little bit of news. Bring us into the news, Mr. Scherer. Extra,
2: extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy's penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and that Playboy are in trouble
0: again. First bit of news for everybody, because uh, we've talked about it on the podcast and, of course, on our um, Single Cast Nation members-only Facebook page, which, by the way, if, if you're not a Single Cast Nation member, Uh, you can go to singlecastnation.com and and sign up for a membership. It is free. You just email first name, last name, and you click become a member. I don't know what the button is. But anyway, you register to become a member. And then once you become uh, a free member of Single Cast Nation, you gain access to our members-only Facebook page where we have a lot of these discussions and we release information early and often on on the Facebook page. So if you're a fan... Uh, and you want to become a Nation member, please sign up and then join our Facebook group. So anyway, we've mentioned it on the podcast. We've mentioned it in Facebook. We've touched on it in email. But we've recently bottled our two Westland casks. And we're just waiting for our labels to arrive to the bottling hall. Uh, There's a bit of a delay on those. And once those are labeled, uh, we'll ship it off to our warehouse and, and then open up sales. And so just a reminder of those two Westland casks, they're both seven years old. One is a peated Westland, seven years in ex-bourbon, and one is an unpeated Westland. They're five-malt mash bill uh, matured in a muscatel barrique. Two very different whiskeys, two very exciting whiskeys. I, I simply cannot wait for those two. Um,
1: yeah, we've been talking about these for a long time. We have, uh,
0: I can say <laughs> kind of that, to release, them. <laughs> I can say that, um, single cast nation retail release number seven is starting to make its way onto store shelves. I know it just came into Chicago. Um, and I, I saw it show up on warehouse liquor shelves. It'll be showing up on Benny shelves and in a few other places. Um.
1: Yeah, Natalie and Liz, who we, we mention often up in Seattle, had reached out to say, where can I read more about this? And so that will be coming to the website uh, by the time this episode goes live, actually. Mm-hmm. So yep. you will be able to read up more of, of retail release number seven. Uh, the, the product shots, the lifestyle shots that are appearing on social media are Remarkable. out of this world. Yeah. And, and the enthusiasm around number seven, I mentioned this previously is excellent. I'm so excited.
0: So uh, a couple things before we move on to other bits of news. Uh, we had Jose Milk actually reach out to us, wanting to know when we were going to do our tasting videos. Because he was really interested mm. in the Westport, but, mm. but wanted to get an understanding of, of the flavors. And of course we, we publish our tasting notes, and those will show up on the website. But he's got a good point. We haven't done videos for this release. So that's something Jason and I will be working on. Um, I don't think we've
1: ever done videos for a retail release.
0: I have I have done videos for them by myself, but, but I, I don't think it would hurt for us to do them jointly. And then we've had other people reach out to us wanting to know what our favorite was. Within the release number seven range, and mm-hmm. and I don't know if you and I have actually talked about what our favorites are. So, what do you? What are your? Do you have a top two? A top three?
1: Yeah, actually, Elijah did a market visit in the good state of Oregon last week. He mm-hmm. he worked his way around some uh, some various fires and managed to make it to some really great accounts. And he was asking me over text. Uh, some of my favourites. And then a a Good Nation member, uh, Nicholas Mm Raba. I'm not not sure how else to pronounce R-A-B-A, but here we are. Apologies if I got it wrong. It's actually
0: pronounced Schwartz.
1: That's the funny thing. That checks out. uh, That (laughs) Goldstein. It makes perfect (laughs) sense. Um, He'd reached out and said, I've access to the Milk and Honey and the Blair Athol. Mm. Which do you recommend?
0: Jeepers. And...
1: You know, obviously, he's reached out to a co co owner of the company. The answer is both. <laughs> um, but here's 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 what else I said in my answer because I try not to be flip. I like to be funny, uh, but I try not to be flip. And so after I'd said both, I said the milk and honey, and this is a funny thing to say about oh, such ooh. a young distillery. Oh, I
0: want I want to hear if you told him. What I tell other people. So this is this is good. So go on.
1: Okay. The milk and honey does exactly what you expect the milk and honey to do. Hmm. And that's why it's interesting to me to say that about such a young distillery. For me, milk and honey is just doing such wonderful work that I'm looking at a consistency. When we sample casks. There's such a consistency to what we're sampling that to put that milk and honey into a bottle and release it as part of the seventh release was easy. An Mm -hmm. easy decision, right? It's another consistent milk and honey cask. Buy Mm -hmm. it, enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You won't be disappointed. It'll Mm -hmm. it'll do what you've come to expect from that distillery. Mm -hmm. But I told him if if he could only buy one of the two, Mm -hmm. pick up the Blair Athol. Because the Blair Athol is surprising. And then what I said to Elijah, the Blair Athol is the one that I return to yeah. where I'm just kind of like, really? Really, Blair Athol, you're mm-hmm. doing this? Yep. Oh. Yep. Huh, yep. Didn't expect that. So so it's interesting to have, you know, milk and honey just be good and reliable and, and you know what you're getting. And Blair Athol being such a surprise. So this is
0: interesting. I, I have a different approach. So, so firstly, I have three favorites, uh, three, <laughs> three standouts to me. They're all excellent. There's no doubt about it. And even the Inchgower, which I think is more up your alley and a bit less up my alley, because there is some of that wine cask finishing, that, that port cask, but you get a mm, bit, a bit mm-hmm, more of a winey mm-hmm. presence to it. I'm still getting some of those, like, incense kind of notes from the Inch Gower, which, mm. which I love. So the distillery character is still there, and I think it's doing, for folks who love Inch Gower, it's doing Inch Gower and then offering a bit more on top of that. So I do like that. I know you re- you like it more than me, but I do like it. But- I,
1: Very quickly, yeah. before you reveal. Yeah. This is a podcast, and our listeners, sadly, can only hear, yeah, but- Given what I just said about the Blair Athol, watch my hand. Right, I'm reaching out for my desk here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, look right. how far my hand has gone.
0: There it is. It's right there. And, you and look what I've lifted your up. pants. And what? Put the oh, <laughs> oh Blair Athol sample. Sorry. There you go. Yeah.
1: I've got I've got no, Blair right Athol sitting. 18 inches from me. <laughs> I won't tell you how I measured that so precisely. So yeah. The Blair Athos just it's just there, yeah. right? That's that's the that's the return. So, so continue now.
0: I, I'm just glad the tape measure I bought you for Hanukkah last year is gone to good use. So I, I do have three favorites, and one of them you won't be surprised by. The other <laughs> one I, I share I share your opinion. Uh, I I really think Blair Athol is the standout of, of the bunch, and in part because it's doing stuff you don't normally expect Blair Athol to do. It's being louder and prouder. Blair Athol tends to be a bit softer, a bit understated, and this is saying, no, no, this is, you know, you need to pay attention to me right now because... I also do these things, right? And I, and I yeah. like that a lot. And I like Blair Athol. Oh, I love Blair. I love yeah. how understated it could be. Like, I like those bit more subtle whiskeys. I mean, you, you know this. And, 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 I, and I appreciate that you love that as well. Right, so that's my top one. My second favorite, which I thought would be my first favorite, but it's my second favorite, I know you're going to say uh, Westport. It's the Westport. It's the 16-year-old Westport. <laughs> um, and I think it's a, a remarkable Highland Distillery whiskey. Distillery
1: somewhere yeah. near Tain, I believe.
0: Somewhere near Tain. There might be 16 yeah. men working there.
1: Yeah, you know. But you know what?
0: Uh, to, up, you know, 13,
1: 18, who's counting?
0: To be honest, I hope they open it up and include some women of Tain. Anyway. I hope so. Right? I hope so, too. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know how many people of color the town of Tain has, but, but I do hope that they be a bit more inclusive. Agreed. And, agreed. Anyway. Sorry, I was just
1: lifting up the inchgower sample. <laughs> I, I don't know if you were expecting <laughs> me to do something with what I've got in my hand here, but, my, but I, I, I'm gripping the inchgower.
0: But my third favorite is the milk and honey. And how I talk about the milk and honey is worlds apart from how you talk about milk and honey. Worlds apart. Do you Go know on. why? Because you've been there? Well, I mean, that aside. No, because <laughs> because I actually disagree with you. I don't think the milk and honey is doing what people who drink milk and honey... Ah. I don't think it's doing what they would expect. And the reason why I don't think it's doing what they would or should expect... You know, milk and honey's own elements peated bottling is whiskey that was matured in casks that previously held peated spirit, right? So you know what that's doing if you've had milk and honey before. You know what their, their peated stuff is doing. But the retail cask, our three-year-old milk and honey is from peated malt and not from a peated cask. So you're getting what you expect from a... There's a consistency of quality... But there are different flavors being presented because this is a peated whiskey from, from the malt being peated and not from the unpeated spirit matured in a cask that previously held peated spirit. And I don't know of any other milk and honey single cask that was released as, their peated, as a peated malt release. We may be one of the first which has me really excited. And I I love what that peated malt is doing. So I kind of see what you're saying where, you know, we released, we did a special uh, M&H bottling of a three-year-old from an ex-Isla cask. And we did that Mm -hmm. for our distributor, Mm -hmm. uh, Prestige LeDroit, who handles DC, Maryland, and Delaware. And Mm -hmm. so from that standpoint... I think that one is a bit more consistent of what people think of when it comes to milk and honey and milk and honey being matured in a peated cask. And I think maybe maybe in the back of your head you got the two of those confused because it's easy well, to do that, but
1: well, but but I, but, I, but I stand by what I'm saying about this consistency, mm. right? that this consistency of quality. And, yes, right. And well, listeners cannot see you nodding and smiling uh, <laughs> over the FaceTime here. But, right, it's, it doesn't really matter what cask you put in front of me for milk and honey. I know that it's going to live up to what milk to and honey does standards. day, in and yes. day out.
0: Yeah, you know, and, it, and it's interesting when you bring that up. It reminds me of our conversation with John McClellan, right, when he was with Gil Homan before he had passed, and, and, you know, we were, we were, we were given some cast samples and, and his comment to us was, you know, cause we had only gotten a few samples and his comment to us was, yeah, but it's all consistent. Yeah. Right. And it's we, right. And we had <laughs> taken it, we had taken his comment to mean they're all going to taste the same. But that yeah. wasn't his comment. Yeah. His comment was, yeah. re- and we didn't get it at the time, his comment was really, you can trust that the quality is consistent regardless of the cask. And I think yeah. that's your statement here. You can trust in the consistency of the quality, but where it where this particular retail release number seven differs is that this is the peated malt. So you're presented with... Slightly different flavors than you're used to when it comes to, to milk and honey. If you've had milk and honey before,
1: and Czech peat at that,
0: and che- yeah, Czechos- Czech, yeah, Republic, yeah, Czech, yeah. I almost said Czechoslovakian peat, but there is yeah. no more Czechoslovakian. They went back to 1986, there. They peated that malt in a Yugo, that's the weird thing. <laughs> 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 uh, so, when I was a
1: boy growing up, my parents got a ladder. Uh, oh, wow. LADAA, a ladder, and boy, I-, I was I was 14 years old, and mm. life's already tough when you're 14. I, I now have a 14 year old in the house, which is <laughs> difficult every day. and uh, And my parents drove us around town in this baby blue ladder. Oh boy, that was tough. That, and it was I think it was one of the first new cars my parents ever bought. And Lada was cheap as chips. I think huh. the only thing cheaper than a Lada was a Skoda. And uh, yeah. Oh, the Skoda. So when you mentioned yes. a Yugo, right? <laughs> you mentioned a Yugo, it gets me thinking Lada, it gets me thinking Skoda. Right. Yeah. Those I've always Eastern been... European cars that made their way to the United Kingdom, they were not appealing.
0: I've always been scared of heights, so you'd never find me climbing a Lada. You know, I just kind of just <laughs> stay away from them. As you know.
1: I would say no dad joke too low, but in this instance it was a dad joke that
0: was <laughs> yeah. not too high. So 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 I mentioned here, my here. three favorite. Do you yeah. do, do you have oh, you want, oh, yes. I wanna hear I wanna hear what the ones you love. I imagine listeners wow. might be curious if they're making a buying decision.
1: Wow. Well, our, certainly our U.S. listeners. And well, our that, that's, a, that's a very good are, point.
0: Yeah. The, this, we are Antipodean talking. Our
1: Tipidian listeners are, are asking us to expand our markets. I had someone from the Congo very, just reach out to kind.
0: me, and, and he's, you,
1: he's upset. I tell you, if, if, we can, if we can't make it in China, there's no point in having a company. So.
0: <laughs> if we can make <laughs> exactly, it in Inner Mongolia, exa- we can make <laughs> it exactly anywhere. That.
1: This is why this is this is why our partnership works. You always pick up what I'm putting down and that's exactly what I'm putting down. so so clearly the Blair Athol yeah.
0: is 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 that the your standout? There. That's your yeah. number one.
1: Yeah, it's the one I keep going back to yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if you if you make me identify a top three, uh, the Blair Athol's gonna be there. I, I can't get away from it, partly because, like you said a moment ago, the Blair Athol's that come across our desks tend to be ex-bourbon. And here's a Blair Athol in a sherry butt. Mm-hmm. And I think that elevates it. We've said it so many times and I continue to say it all the time. You and I love single malts in fresh bourbon barrels. That's our go-to. Bourbon hoggies, yep. right? It's the bourbon maturation of single malt that we really, really love but I think the sherry butt component of this yeah. really does good work. It elevates and that, the that's spirit. all I'm ever yeah. looking for, yep. right? Yep. Is the cask putting in time and effort here. Mm-hmm. Check. So so that's that definitely works for me. The Inch Gower, I like the way you talk about it. The Linkwood for me hmm. is position two, And I told you when we were selecting these, and it really fits in with the theme of today's episode, that Linkwood is poundable, right? Yeah. Just, just so keep fresh. pouring it. and it's
0: so fresh. Right? And, and,
1: yeah. and, and I know there's a, there's a hashtag, please drink responsibly, that we always uh, revert back to. But that Linkwood, when we selected that, my comment was pop the cork on a Friday, recycle the bottle on a Monday. It's just a drinker. It's an absolute drinker.
0: Assuming you're spending a weekend with friends and not just alone in a room <laughs> on the internet. Yeah, you know, you, you don't want you, you to be there. You don't want to be that person. <laughs> I
1: would happily drink a bottle of that over a weekend, um, but at least with at least one other friend, if I nah, could find go, one. So, okay. yeah, real. Uh, I really like that Lingwood. That okay, that I was that the, was obvious to me during this election. the selection. The Westport, the Westport is tickety boo, and the Westport. I, I is I that said your number three? And, Are you about to announce it? Is it? not. No. Oh, okay. no, I'm not. Um, the the thing for me, and I've I've said this about the tasting note pickled walnuts. Mm. I like it when I can taste something and it makes me think of Joshua. And I and I've told people, I still haven't had pickled walnuts, right? Gosh. But I will I will nose a, a whiskey, I will taste a whiskey, I will say pickled walnuts because I know the moments at which you say pickled walnuts. And so when this Westport came across the desk. And obviously this is from a distillery that you are a long time fan of. Uh, we've, we've interviewed Dr. Bill Lumsden plenty of times now. Two parts. Part three coming. And I know what this distillery is, is doing. And I was really happy that we could finally get a release from this distillery under the single cast nation livery. So he, It he, was an achievement. Here's it was a the great, difference, great though.
0: Here's the difference, though. You understand what the distillery is doing, but I don't think you necessarily understand what the distillery is capable of. And so I think that this cask is just giving you the slightest peek behind what that distillery is capable of because it is softer. It's a bit lighter. It's a bit more on the floral side, which means it's a bit more malleable but when done right, when done second fill sherry, all of a sudden, kind of like with our with our link, not the liquid, with the Blair Athol, where the sherry cask elevated the Blair Athol spirit, yeah. Yeah. I think the sherry cask is elevating that Westport spirit, the spirit from that distillery located somewhere around the town of Tain where 16 <laughs> men happen to hang out. And Glenn loves more oranges. You know, it's it's... You've had... Man, for, first we could park <laughs> in the Highlands and yeah.
1: now Glenn loves more oranges. Uh, <laughs> you, you've you had... If I, I were feel to like guess... Chris, Nick, I feel like Nick Cage in National Treasure trying to solve these riddles that keep coming down <laughs> upon me.
0: I, I would guess in your life you may have had 12 whiskeys from this distillery, if that.
1: Oh no! I've had a lot more whiskey.
0: Have you than had more? Really? That. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Well,
1: yeah
0: you haven't. Yeah. You haven't had enough. There. There's a lot to be discovered there. There's a lot to be discovered there.
3: Anyway. I can
0: appreciate them without reaching for them. So, so what is your number three then? What's your number three? This is tough.
1: I can, I always hate it when we reach the finite moment. I like one. I like two. That's easy because you still got three to come. Where's the bronze medal, Jason? Get to th- once you get to three, there's not. There's not another one after that. Like, how can I turn my back on milk and honey? Right? I love what they're doing, I love what they're producing, I love what they're putting out there, I love their maturation, I love what they're doing with casks. I'll say this position three for me would be a toss up between the milk and honey and the
0: Dumbarton,
3: Ooh,
1: because I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I can't, I can't not give props to grain. I know, and it's, right, the, it's Dumbarton a, and a distillery. hoggy. Right, right. It's, it's, yeah. Here's it. here's something funny, and you know this is, this is why we're not salespeople. Because I'm gonna tell you something that doesn't help sell our products. But <laughs> Josh was <laughs> thinking, wait till I get this into post
0: production. No, how how
1: do go. I say? Here we go. This is where the company what ends, said, What we say
0: next. This is where the company <laughs> so, folds.
1: <laughs> so, so I told you this previously, and I, I've told Elijah and Jess this. I did a grain tasting for my Palouse Whiskey Society. Mm-hmm. And I love grain, and you love grain, and, love it. and Elijah and Jess love grain, and we talk about grain all the time, and we bottled grain, and we sell grain, and our nation seems to love grain. My society up in the Palouse, mm-hmm. in the Northwest, mm-hmm. Eastern Washington, Northern Idaho, they said it all tasted, it all smelled like hand sanitizer. They had gone through COVID, where people now have hand sanitizer in their cars, people have it walking into (laughs) stores, people have it on countertops. People are spritzing neutral neutral grain spirit constantly. And that freshness, brightness, sometimes orange component, orange water, orange gumdrops, Mm can be present in hand sanitizer. And we've now existed in a world where hand sanitizer has become so ubiquitous, it has affected how people interact. Some people, questionable people, I will say. People of (laughs) questionable character. Your uh, society members go on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them have had grain spirit ruined for them. And, and that makes me so sad because, you know, we were pouring 1974 Invergordon, 1973 Dumbarton, 1990s Port Dundas. Stuff. That's magical right. stuff. Right. And so I, I, I remain squarely in the camp of grain whiskey and I am absolutely going to go to bat for our hoggy of Dumbarton.
0: I I think it's such a remarkable grain. Dumbarton has has a presence to it. it has a it has a a bit of heft to it that I've always loved. Both both port, uh, sorry, both Dumbarton and North British seem to have a, a bit of heft to it that the other ones don't seem to have. And uh, and I just think it was such a remarkable cask of whiskey. And you know, I th- I think from from the perspective of the whiskey drinker that is interested in trying stuff from distilleries that have been shuttered, that simply don't produce anymore. Tasting a bit of history is, is a great thing. Sharing history well, with friends. Well, and I and I keep
1: saying, if you're a bourbon lover and you're a fan of column still distillation, mm. but you want to see a difference from new chard oak to refill wood. You actually want to taste the grain? Scottish yeah. Scottish grain whiskey is the way to go. Yep. You should absolutely be exploring that. And I've said that to, to friends in Kentucky and yeah. Tennessee and Georgia. You know, you, you guys are all so close to Kentucky. Explore Scottish grain whiskey and, and fun
0: it, things will happen. Especially for those American whiskey drinkers who've been turned on to light whiskey, whether it was through High West, through ourselves, uh, you know, or, or, or any other bottler. If you've found a beauty and light whiskey, follow that. Go to go to Scottish Grain Whiskey because you're going to find similar flavors there. Light whiskey is basically America's version of Scottish grain whiskey. It really is. Exactly.
1: I've been mean, saying it for years. Yep. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah, whether it's Blair Athol, Westport, Inchgower, Linkwood, Dumbarton, Milk and Honey, Peated Malt, or the Prestige LaDroit East Coast Mid-Atlantic oh, so X Island Cask Milk Gask. and Honey. Yeah, yep. it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a good, solid seventh release.
0: Yep, Really yeah. happy. Really happy. So, is there anything else to add to the news segment? I mean, we kind of chitter chattered through the news segment yeah i wanted
1: you to talk a bit about the cigar you did Uh, the cigar podcast yesterday
0: thank you thank you thank you (laughs) what's the release date first and foremost so so here's the thing people listening to this podcast on on wednesday the the 28th of july uh, will' know that these cigars have been on sale now for two days and actually by the time this podcast launches, the cigar may be sold out. and I do yeah, apologize but, but we have talked about it in a previous podcast we did we've been mentioning it all over the place on Facebook. Um, so we worked once again with uh, Aganor Leaf and two guys cigars out of New Hampshire. And so what we did is we sent a cask, an empty cask, that previously held Tennessee bourbon, a 14-year-old Tennessee bourbon. It was part of our uh, Pappy Nonsense release. We sent that yes, cask sir. over to Agonorsa Leaf. They created a cigar, matured the whole cigar in the cask. They actually matured 2,000 of these cigars in the cask and they did, then did a box press of this cigar. So you've got this lovely cigar that's both Tennessee bourbon aged and a box press. And I smoked it yesterday with the folks from Two Guys. I smoked it with our cigar czar, Yoni Miller, who, who really is the mastermind. I mean, you and I are the whiskey he guys. Is. Oh, he is. Yoni's yeah. we our not cigar touch guy. the cigar stuff. Right? We, en- <laughs> we enjoy cigars, but he's a cigar... As much as we're, we're whiskey nerds, he's a cigar nerd. And he worked with the Aganorsa guys. Um, and Terrence over there at Aganorsa Leaf has been such a wonderful partner. And so so anyway, there was um, 2,000 sticks made, so 200 boxes of 10. And those went on sale on Monday, July 26th at 10 a.m. However, Single Cast Nation members may remember i suggested to people become a member of single cast nation mm-hmm. single cast nation members actually got the link 2 hours before the less the rest of the country did right so these these are some of the benefits that you get to being a, a single cast nation member if you're listening to this podcast right now and you go to twoguyscigar.com and you search for single cast nation there is a chance that these could be sold out but there's also a chance they're not sold out yet. So go ahead, go to twoguyscigars.com, check it out, see if it's there. If it's not there and it's sold out, A, I apologize, B, their selections are phenomenal. If you're a cigar smoker, I, I tell you, Jason, I was in their main store in Salem and, uh, and it was just remarkable just going through their store and their massive walk-in humidor Um, all the big brands, the Davidoffs of the world and, you know, the Agonorsas and, you know, you name it, they have it. And they have their own proprietary blends as well. These are guys that give a shit about cigars. And so if you like cigars, two guys is, I think, worth checking out.
1: Uh, Regardless of our partnership
0: with them, just just as, you know, a cigar fan. I'm sorry, what did you say? What was it like being on a cigar podcast? That was weird, man. <laughs> um, it was weird. Be it was weird because of this, Jason. I'll tell you. So it was a a podcast, but B there was also a live video portion of it, and so Yoni and I were in the first hour of the video portion, and so you know I'm I'm the type of cigar smoker well, I smoke more cigars than you do these days. I would say I maybe smoke 12 cigars per year. And that's not necessarily one cigar a month. That could be three cigars in a month. And then I go a couple months and then I do another, you know what I mean? It's it kind of runs. Do you smoke
1: them alone or only in company? Only in company.
0: No, I Take that back. Sometimes if I'm just hanging outside, it's me and Haida, we've got a fire going. You know, I always ask, "Do you mind if I light up a cigar?" And she's like, "No, you do, you." She she doesn't mind the cigar smoke, which is very nice. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's just nice to have it alone, just hanging out with Haida. You know, just being outside, enjoying the fresh air. But but mostly, I enjoy it with friends. And mostly, here was the interesting thing, Jason. Mostly, I enjoy it without the accompaniment of whiskey, because I feel as if. The cigar ruins the whiskey experience, mm. and uh, but but being on this podcast and tasting our cigar, and I had opened my one of my bottle. I had two bottles. I had opened one of my bottles of Pappy Nonsense to taste along with it, and it was really nice. Uh, Jonathan, not not Yoni, but the other the other Jonathan, basically taught me how to pair the two to show what smoke would do to the whiskey and what whiskey would do to the smoke and when to take the sip and why to take the sip at that certain point. And then I was able to discover how that cigar could elevate the whiskey in particular ways. I think it still interferes with your overall experience, but I think there are ways in which you can use that smoke to elevate the whiskey, but also use the whiskey... To elevate the cigar as well.
1: And that's what I was about to say to you a moment ago, which is I, I wouldn't write off the experience mm. whole cloth. The right whiskey with the right cigar can be absolutely phenomenal. Get it wrong, however. Yes. And you, it's like a deflated balloon. Right. And, right? and the, the whole enterprise exactly. is a non starter.
0: But, right. And so I. the good news is. Smoking this cigar with the Pappy nonsense whiskey—the fact that there was a definite and clear connection of yeah, whiskey cool. in the bottle to cigar in hand—it really elevated the whole experience. So, if those two didn't work together, I think we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. but they did work together. But you know what I found out, and I and I and I thought that this was interesting. What I found out through Terence at Agonorsa was the, the, the common procedure of cask-aging tobacco is specifically that, cask-aging tobacco, and then you use that tobacco that, to then build your cigar. But Agonorsa Leaf took a different approach. They built the cigar and then matured the whole cigar in the cask for a period of time. They actually had to create um, a shelving system within the cask to house the cigars in there. And they found Hmm. that they couldn't leave the cigars in there for too long because the moisture was so intense and because tobacco was so porous they just became wet and gross and and way too boozy and didn't smoke right. So they're just in there for (laughs) a very short period of time just... Sponging in that 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 Tennessee yeah. bourbon, and so it was it was Barry uh, Barry Bellevue I think is how you pronounce his last name. He's the cigar authority guy, and so he liked our first cigar, but he thought it leaned a bit too much on the um, on the on the bourbony, or actually it's a rye whiskey, so more on the rye side of things and less cigar. So mm. he thought it was a bit un—he liked it, but it was a bit unbalanced, as from a cigar smoker's standpoint. But this one, he thought it was a perfect balance between the bourbon and the tobacco, from a from a An smoker's standpoint. Yeah. So it was. Gosh, I thought our
1: first round of cigars were absolutely spot on, and maybe as a whiskey drinker, I thought that. I'm sorry. Say that once again. the The first round.
0: Yeah. That we released. Yes. Were spot on. You thought that they were spot on. I, I did too. But here's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but here's the <laughs> right. thing. As whiskey drinkers. As whiskey drinkers, it was perfect. It was spot on. But, but after having tasted this, this new cigar or second cigar, I see what he meant. I really do see what he meant. And what I enjoyed was, and I think this kind of goes to Aganorsa Leaf in general, our first cigar was great because throughout the entire stick, you got that rye presence. It never went away. But Aganor c- cigars take you on this ride where it's like peppery and spicy, and then it gets sweet, and then it gets velvety, and then it gets earthy, and then it gets spicy again. And like, it's it's that hour, that hour and a half, and you're taking on a journey. And, and the first time around, I think the alcohol kind of leveled out that journey where in this cigar I think the alcohol followed that journey does so that make sense? Now I'm in,
1: yeah, oh, 100% but mm. now I'm intrigued because when I was smoking our first release of cigars mm. that's exactly what I was describing to people this Robusto will do one thing for the first third it'll do another thing for the second third yeah. And it'll do another thing in the last third. And in that last third, it became very cigar-like for me. Yeah. And that last third was the part at which I would get a little lightheaded. And if I hadn't, (laughs) you know, if I hadn't eaten, if I wasn't hydrated, if I'd maybe drunk a little bit too much whiskey along the way to that last third, if I hadn't taken a break halfway, Mm. it was a Big big cigar, but I absolutely found it broken down into thirds and communicated oh, that to
0: in, friends. Interesting, yeah. I I think once you get this cigar in your hand, I think you'll 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 see the stark differences, and I and I think in part it being a box press, it becomes a different experience as well. The draw is different, how it smokes is a bit different, and and to be fair, the. The tobacco is the same. It's constructed the same way. It's a different mm-hmm. size. It's not mm-hmm. a Robusto anymore. It's a, it's a slightly larger cigar, but then it's also been box-pressed, but it's not a traditional box-press as well. If you think of your box press cigars, you have very sharp lines on a box-press. This is more rounded. This is kind of an in-between around cigar in a box-press. Uh, you'll get your box, and actually, well, let's, let's have a smoke together. I think we'll will 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 appreciate the differences between the two and and for those listening who are cigar smokers hopefully you're on our Facebook page or hopefully you listened to previous podcasts where we we've been talking about this and uh, and we'll be emailing people about this or by the time this is released we will have emailed people about this but for the cigar smokers out there you know I hope they do buy the second iteration so I, I think it's I think it's a, a a wonderful addition to what we've done. And it shows a different side to what we can do in collaboration with these partners, with Agonorsa and, and with the two guys. I, I'm so excited. And it was the last thing I'll say, because you asked me how the experience was. What I love during the course of the conversation, and, and anybody listening can go and, and just go to the Cigar Authority. Um, in YouTube, and you'll find the video there. What I loved about this conversation with me and Yoni and and the guys with Cigar Authority is we found the links between the whiskey industry and the cigar industry, and they're not tenuous. They really aren't. There, There are clear links and reasons for why what they do and how they do it and reasons for what we do and how we do it. And it's quite clear. And you say, oh, what you do is similar to what I do because of A, B, and C. And what I do is similar to what you do because of you know D, E, and F. And, uh, and, that, and that was fun. And uh, last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say, Jason. Uh, Balancer, <laughs> who we've mentioned multiple times on the podcast, Indeed. Massachusetts guy, drove up to New Hampshire to watch the live recording. Oh, good man. Which is wonderful. Ah, so man. lovely great to support. see him. Yeah. Great supporter. And uh, just just a, a, a lovely guy. And there was a woman named Pamela there as well who who discovered us through our first cigar and then became a single cast nation member and and started purchasing our whiskeys. And she was just so lovely to talk to and I brought a bottle of our Pappy Nonsense. I brought a bottle of our Stones of Stennes 17 year old. To taste and uh, got to pour that for her, both of them for her and for Balancer as well. So,
1: yeah, it was the a good time. New collaborative Stones of Stena 17
2: years.
0: Yes, with Water of Life Film. That indeed. Oh. Yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to get my box. I'm really excited to see what the new cigar is doing.
0: Same-same. Same season. Yeah, you'll. You- when I say samesies, I mean I can't wait for you to get it. Because I think you'll find what I found. But mostly, I want you to get it. And then you and I are going to get together and we're going to have a night. We're going to have a long night. <laughs> <laughs> filled with cigars and manzanilla and mezcal and wild turkey bourbon <laughs> and playboy. <laughs> Can I tell you really quickly, really quickly, Jason, I think I think our... Our listeners will appreciate this story. So I say this all the time. You know how you have, we have certain things that we say to one another that just make sense. There's a certain thing that Haida and I say to one another that just makes sense. There was this guy that I went to school with, Leroy. He was one of these guys that everybody loved. He was he was one of the, the um, uh, he had learning disabilities. You know, somewhere on the autism spectrum. But we, you know, this is going to the school in the 80s and 90s, but they were incorporating him into the classes and and he just become sort of the friend to everyone. And he was such a lovely guy. I absolutely loved him. But during lunch, I would sit with him and he would hang out and he'd always tell this story. And he would say, I'm going to have a party at my house. We're going to have <laughs> Commodore 64. We're going to have Topps baseball cards. We'll do the baseball card game. We're gonna do this, and we're gonna have Playboys. And I'm like, dude. Okay, I was with you until he said we're gonna have Playboys. Just the idea of reading Playboys with a bunch of friends just seemed, you know, reading the articles of Playboy with friends just didn't seem to make sense. But uh, I don't know. You had
1: me a Commodore sixty four. I was a Commodore sixty four kid. Did you have a and favorite again, game when I was yeah. when I was fourteen? I had a Commodore
0: sixty four. Did you have a favorite game? Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you had a favourite game <laughs> What was your favourite game? Do you remember?
1: It's not oh, going to make yeah. any sense to you is that, That's why I didn't continue Go ahead What, what is it? Um, it was called Emmeline Hughes Soccer And Emmeline Hughes was a famous Welsh soccer player oh, uh, I, I believe... Uh, played his club soccer with Liverpool, and oh. and so just just like you get any celebrity sports person endorsement of a game, mm-hmm. this was his
0: Commodore sixty four. And sports that's career. early on Like Commodore sixty four. That's eighties. Winner winner. I was I was fourteen. Yeah,
1: you were fourteen. You
0: were born in seventy four. Nineteen like eighty eight. Eighty <laughs> eight. That that's early on for the sports. Yeah. Wow,
2: that's interesting.
1: Yep. Okay. yep. Emlyn used soccer, and the graphics were terrible, and the colors were, were terrible, and yes. the gameplay the the gameplay was terrible. But my brother and I just sat and played it for hours upon hours. I, I tried to explain this to my own kids the other day about loading a game from tape, <laughs> and I I felt like I was describing something from the 18th century let alone the 19th the 20th the 21st back in my they had, day they had, <laughs> yeah they, they had no concept of loading a game from tape and then the noise it would make it sounded like a fax machine when
0: you were loading your game from so, tape wait a second commodore 64 wasn't a tape loaded game though tandy was tape loaded yeah, commodore 64 was tape was it tape i don't remember being tape loaded
1: yeah absolutely I've got no other words except right.
0: for absolutely. All right, listeners.
1: How the fuck else are you re- uploading the game?
0: To I I, what? Th- I thought that it? You that? I thought that that it was a disc or a cartridge. Commodore sixty four. Yeah, oh, I thought it was a
1: disc. It was a personal computer.
0: Which is why I thought it was a disc in nineteen eighty eight. Oh no, sir! Right, no, eighty-five. Sir. You, you're at Tandy with your Tandy one thousand, but I think we'd gotten to the point where we're at those five inch or five point eight inch discs.
1: Oh, interesting! Interesting. I did. I will say, listeners are loving this. In the <laughs> summer uh-huh. of my fourteenth year. Uh-huh i I went on vacation with a friend of mine I was Scottish yeah, watching she was share share
0: videos important time in your her life.
1: father her father was English yeah. he had an Atari and his Atari was disc
0: wait a second so wait a second so atari 20,
1: personal computer not atari uh, not the gaming system
0: Atari personal computer I, a, I don't remember that. B, I wonder if that was a UK only thing.
1: Well, he had a baseball game on disc
0: that oh I played. Just... A it lot makes me that wonder summer. if your Commodore was different from our Commodore.
1: Well, our our uh, master system was certainly different from your Genesis.
0: Hmm. Well, anyway, I don't even know Podcast how we got into this. Podcast listeners, I are loving, yeah, this. Yeah, loving this. My favorite Commodore sixty four game was Wizard's Crown.
1: You've mentioned this
0: previously. Oh, so good, so good. I found no. an emulator online. That game is fucking terrible. It was so was terrible. It, but was that the prequel or the sequel to Wizard's Sleeve? <laughs> <laughs> there is like one guy living in his basement that knows that reference. Um, actually, no. Anyone watching Borat should should know that reference. But Any- everyone in the UK is <laughs>
1: everyone in the UK is loving this.
0: Anyway, 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 anyway. We, what are we doing here? How did we get I here? I don't know how we got there, but we do need to. Uh, I, I do want we're to read finish probably because we're because we're done with we're done with news. We've been done with the news for a while, but I do oh, want to. Mescal,
1: have you drunk from your? I carry?
0: I'm not going to lie to you, Jason. I am four Miss in, and I feel fantastic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've got Re recampero. I've got mexicano recampero.
0: But we did—we received a message, a Facebook message, from someone, uh, a Scottish gentleman, by the way, Jason.
1: <laughs> it's a great intro. <laughs> we,
0: got, we got this
1: thing from someone, this, but he this, was in Scotland, so
0: we got this thing, and and I wanted to read it to you. Mm. And, and you'll understand why I want to read it to you specifically.
1: Anytime you say we've got something from a Scottish person, I'm always like, here it comes. Here's the attack on Jason's Scottishness. Now that he's lived in the United States since 2001, in December of 2001 at that, I'm always waiting on the questions <laughs> coming in. Like, he's not a real Scotsman. Right. Isn't so, how he
0: talks. So... It's interesting. I responded to this person, but he hasn't read it yet. So, uh, you know what? Maybe after he hears this episode, he'll read my response. So, <laughs> so we got an we got a Facebook message from a gentleman by the name of Ian Bruce, and that's I A I N Bruce. In keeping
1: with the episode with Bruce Russell,
0: right? Uh, or in keeping with previous episodes, Ian Allen. With the I-A-I-N. There there you go. So, his message starts off, and you ready? It says, fit like shields. Oh, well C-H-E-I-L-S. done. C-H-E-I-L-S. Yes. And he had said, since so you... we've
1: got somebody from the northeast of Scotland
0: here. <laughs> it says, since you don't really care for proper English, I thought I'd start <laughs> off with some Doric." Yep, fit, fit, so, fit, 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 fit. So, so what does "fit like shields" mean in Doric? How you doing? How you doing? Fit How you like doing? Shield. What are you up to?
1: What's happening with you? So, fit
0: and like, Fits what? I understand so, these words like.
1: So you know my story. Fit, 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 fit.
0: I, I don't. I
1: don't. Doric speaker goes to the Swiss Alps. They're with a ski instructor, right? And they turn to the ski instructor, who's obviously Swiss and obviously speaks perfect English, and says to the ski instructor, Mm. fit, fit, fits, fit, fit. (laughs) Which foot fits which foot? They were putting on their ski boots. (laughs) So as soon as you oh, give me fit, great. fit
0: like here, yeah, you know, we're ready. I'm ready with the northeast. Let's do this. Oh, that's so great. Okay, so that so there you go. So how you doing? So he says. Anyways, uh, been loving the podcasts, and then the Isla episode. You're gonna like this, Jason. And the Isla's, Isla episodes on series one were great, as visiting the island at the same time made it more engaging. So that's cool. Awesome. He's on Isla. He's listening awesome. to our episodes of Being on Isla, right? That's very cool.
1: Yeah, Ian Bruce. Ian, on, Ian
0: Bruce. And So he goes on. He's got two first names, Jason, right? But Bruce is such a. That is such a strong Scottish name. Who, you know who know that is
1: Ian? Yeah? Ian is Gaelic for John. Did you know that? Is it? Yeah. Look at that. See, we've known each other for over a decade, and I can still surprise you with. With uh some truth
0: bombs. Man Oh Man Chevetts. I like that. Yeah,
1: I had a friend, I had a friend in high school called Ian I A I N, Gaelic for John.
0: Hmm. Was that his last name? Gaelic for John. <laughs> What's his tartan <laughs> What's his <nickname>? like?
1: <laughs> to, to be honest, I had a friend called Scott McCracken. His nickname was Phil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had a friend named uh Ben Dover. That's another White Clips. What's that? <laughs> Anita bath? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Um, what's her name? Uh, she just actually died not too long ago. 102, Two oh, hundred and three years old. Um, White Cliffs of Dover, very famous song. Yeah. Associated with the Second World War. Yeah. So and she died. Bendover. Dover. White Cliffs, White Cliffs of Dover. Uh, ben Vera was her son's Vera Lynn. Name. Yeah. Vera Lynn, White Cliffs of Dover. Carry on.
0: So he goes on visiting Ardenhoe the afternoon after hearing about your visit to the worksite. And standing oh up Jim McEwen just <laughs> felt special after seeing the view <laughs> in the still room, as well as viewing the open topped worm tubs.
1: uh uh-huh. I don't remember uh, standing up
0: Jim McEwen. I know we, I know we, we had a tasting with him, and we interviewed him. We um, were an hour late,
1: uh, ninety minutes late. Right.
0: That's yeah, right. Yeah, we didn't stand him
1: up. We were just very, very late. And (laughs) Briony, Briny Boyd
0: covered for us. She's wonderful. Pro-level. You kept on saying, ah, Isla time. Isla Isla time. time." Isla time. (laughs) Had he left? He hadn't left. He hadn't (laughs) left. He hadn't
1: (laughs) left. They were just catching up. They spent the time catching up.
0: (laughs) And so Ian continues, and this is the last paragraph. He says, just wanted to relay back a huge thank you for so much info and interesting and enjoyable chats to help develop my knowledge and love for whiskey, as well as being more intrigued to try some more. Are you ready for this? American bourbons. Yay!
1: <laughs> American bourbon! Get away Stay from away from me! me.
0: Uh, and American he says, cheers, bourbon. Ian Bruce. So, Ian, so. Thank, thank you so much. What a, what a wonderful note to get. That's brilliant.
1: For the benefit of Ian and our listeners, I was updating our cask lists the Mm. other day Mm -hmm. and we have a category in our internal spreadsheets that is American Bourbon. And I smile every
0: time I fill out our internal spreadsheets with American Bourbon. Do you you prefer Japanese bourbon over American Bourbon?
1: (laughs) American Bourbon!
0: Mexican Bourbon over American Bourbon?
1: Oh, oh, I love it. Makes but, me I can, so happy. but you know what?
0: what? I kind of get it, right? I mean, here's a weird <laughs> thing, Jason. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm going to tell you and I'm going to tell the listener. There's something There's something about when people refer to Scotch whiskey as uh-huh. Scotch, Uh-huh that annoys the living crap out of me
1: used to used to affect me in the same way just, and then I, s- I unlocked I unlocked what they were trying to do and now I now I live quite comfortably within it
0: Yeah I just I just want to hear whiskey like it's whiskey I I used to be exactly there
1: with you exactly so, and I'll, I'll tell you this he, you know we we talked about my police society earlier and my, I've got a very very dear friend Carl England mm-hmm. mm. Who who's Uncle just Carl. a, a yep. wonderful Uncle Carl? Exactly Uncle Carl. correct, yep. Uncle Carl. And for years, in first knowing Carl, I would talk about single malt. I would talk about whiskey, mm-hmm. and Carl would always, always, always say scotch. Always.
0: Hmm. And. And that bugged you? It, did it bug you?
1: And and it did. It did. Yeah, okay. but for somebody that I love and cherish dearly, it was always a little bit of the nails on the chalkboard for me. Like, yeah. oh, I wish I could get him to stop saying that. I wish I could get him to say single malt. And and he never has. And and I've now known him for crumbs. 20 years. <laughs> right? And he's such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful dude. Yep, and, and, yep. and I love him dearly. And once I unlocked... What he was communicating with his word scotch, it just, it just flowed from me. All of, all of the tension, all of the annoyance, that little bugbear, it just washed
0: so, from me. Okay, so so what was he conveying? What what was that? what, what was the, the the aha moment?
1: The same thing that I'm conveying and Ian Bruce is conveying with American bourbon. It's giving kudos to the geography of it. It's saying, this is your thing. This is your product. And you would say single malt, and and you and I have got friends in, in American single malt. Single malt means a lot to me. American single malt means a lot mm-hmm. to me. Okay. Scottish, Welsh, Israeli, different things. Australian, different things. right? Single yeah. malt doesn't say nearly as much as Scotch. And once I really grasped that, I was like, that's really nice. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm really on board with what he's holding
0: on to dearly. So with scotch. So I'm, I'm going to give Uncle Carl a pass here. <laughs>
1: but but I, he doesn't I,
0: care. Uh, <laughs> so the the reason why I still have an issue with it. Carl's example is a very good example of someone who knows things and can say scotch and it has a very specific meaning. But if we go 50,000 feet up to look at everybody else who is saying scotch, you know, again, back to to this equation of 88 to 90% of all scotch whiskeys blends and most of the people drinking those blends don't know what they're drinking. Those are the people that are saying, give me a scotch. Like if you just go to a bar and say, give me a scotch, that is the worst thing to ask for because there is there is not a single category that is more diverse than Scotch whiskey is, be it through single malt, be it through single grain, be it through blended malt, blended grain, blends, etc. And so it's that more ubiquitous use of Scotch that I but have a problem with.
1: Me, but it's funny to me that you call that the 50,000 feet up view. To me, your point is the head of the pin view, right? For, for those who know, who are in a very, very, very small clique, we know this category, huge, vast, multi-dimensional, yeah. right? When, as a Scotsman, when someone from that 50,000 feet view says Scotch, you've just talked about my country yeah you're, yeah, you're just re- you're, you're, you've represented difference. my country that's difference, right yeah. what annoys me is when someone asks if i've got any of that japanese scotch yeah now you've yeah, demonstrated you don't actually know what scotch means right? but, but right, the but word but, scotch has stopped
0: meaning but, anything in that moment and so this is this is my larger point is that a good number of those people that I'm looking at from a fifty thousand foot distance are people who would say, "Let me try that Japanese Scotch. I heard it's so good. Let me try some of your Irish Scotch. I heard it's great. Oh my gosh, the Israelis are making Scotch now, right? That is the more common term. People are using it incorrectly, <laughs> and so and so for me, you you know me. I just I I like." <laughs> Sometimes to a fault and sometimes to my own fault because I, I I can't I can't live up to this the you know this standard. But I really do enjoy specificity and and you know this is why I don't like the word barrel being used because barrel no, is being used the same way band-aid and xerox are being used, and that's not but, the case. But here's the,
1: but here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are times when people are purposely mistaken there are times when people are accidentally mistaken and if i meet somebody who's trying to talk about a wooden vessel Mm -hmm. that holds whiskey Mm -hmm. and instead of using cask which i know to be the generic term they use barrel Mm
0: -hmm. i'm okay with that i'm okay with somebody you don't just want to cut them no, oh, that's
1: that's, that's unnecessary. The right at any point? What? No. What, but what I'm gonna say to them is, I really take your point. I'm glad we could have this conversation. FYI, for your information, or BTW, by mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. I always say cask because it's generic. And when you said barrel a moment ago, you made me think of a particular size. Yes. But I think what you were communicating was just a vessel. Yeah. So in future, if you remember, if this this world means anything to you, use cask going forward. Yeah. And so if someone asks me for that Japanese scotch, I'm going to say, listen, I'm glad you're interested in the category. But let me tell you why. Japanese scotch is a non-starter There's this world of scotch And what that means for me and my country But then there's also this Japanese single malt And this Japanese whiskey world That you'll want to go and explore But you'll want to use these words instead The problem for me Is when I've had that conversation with somebody Once, twice, three times And they're still talking about Japanese scotch yeah. Then we'll get a problem. We, now you're yeah. just trying to get the world to bend to your will. That's that's more problematic yeah, for that, me. But if you've just simply used the wrong word because you didn't know otherwise, there's a conversation to be had there. And, with without you know, a doubt. moment it, for education.
0: And and I'm having those conversations. There's not there's I wouldn't say there's not a single tasting I've done, but it's few and far between where I don't do this, where I'm doing a tasting and I'm talking about hogsheads and barrels and butts and port pipes and madeira drums and and i purposely say that because those are typically the the cask types being used in the whiskies that i'm talking about but i i lay down the groundwork and then i say you may remember me mentioning all these different hogshead and barrel and like i i want you guys to know that that a, there's no such thing as a barrel that a barrel is actually a size designation of a cask just like there's a hogshead and then i bring up the beetles right mr h and k jumping through a, a hogshead of real fire right and and so i do this in the effort to say if you're going to use a generic term you should maybe use cask because barrel is a size designation i'm not going to get on you if you revert to barrel because you've been doing it for ten years, twenty years, what have you? However, secretly, it comes from a place of. It's a cask, and they have size designations. And do I have to go over this again and again and again? But I come across and I say it nicely, and I try to educate. And secretly, I'm swearing on the inside.
1: See, yeah, yeah I've, I've even I've I've given up the the secret inside swearing as well life's too really? short we can we can we can discuss whiskey till the cows come home and never mm-hmm. once have to go through all the different sizes of casks
0: <laughs> it's right? true it's just, i mean in the right. grand scheme of things who gives a fuck i get Absolutely. it right it's just Absolutely. whiskey it really is Absolutely. just whiskey and and Absolutely. and i will get over myself but i do have bugaboos and i do talk about them But at any given point, let me just say this. I know you have things you want to say. But at any given point, I'm always respectful. And I always just want to educate people. And if it takes, wonderful. And if it doesn't, that's fine because it really doesn't matter. My bugaboos aside, it doesn't matter. Do you like this whiskey? Yes or no? That's what matters.
1: Well, and so on one hand, I know we need to get out of this podcast. I have to run to the bathroom. My kids are about to come home for dinner. Like there's a lot of things in play here. But I just wanted to circle back to something you and I discussed Mm. off air, which is and and just along this line of bugaboos and and what words mean and how we use them. And I often talk about being both uh, an industry professional and a hobbyist. And yes. I know that you hate the use of the word hobbyist. I do, I don't like as that. we describe our our own lives within this industry. And it it's so interesting to me that when I use the term hobbyist, I'm talking about just my, my passion, my love, my my collecting, my buying, my opening, my drinking, my sharing, right? Where I've got plenty of friends who are really into whiskey, who I love sharing my bottles with. I love it when they share their bottles with me. And I see us all on the same plane, the same level, which is that hobbyist level. Mm -hmm. And then there's Monday through Friday where I work on spreadsheets and I work on contracts (laughs) and I work on cast selections that will go into different global releases of Single Cast Nation. No fucking part of that is hobbyist. It's work, none at all. It's work it's, as a
0: business. Who were independent all, bottlers?
1: It's all <laughs> industry all the way down. Yeah. But uh, and so so you and I had that conversation off air, just just quietly, actually last Sunday, where you don't want to use that word hobbyist, and that that surprises me because I see you. Hanging out with people, you know, when we're exploring the Manzanilla that we talked about earlier, it's as a hobbyist. When mm-hmm. we discuss the mescals and the rums with Bruce, it's as a hobbyist. It, it surprises me that the
0: word Be- brings you such pain. Be- because it gets back to people's use of the word scotch. We, we've been a business for 10 years. A business an independent bottler who's warehousing casks, who's finishing casks. And people have confused us for being a group or for being people who just do cask picks. And that's not the case. We're an independent bottler. We just happen to live in America where the language around that doesn't really fit what we do because we're based in the U.S., if we're based in Scotland and we're Caddenheads, or we're whiskey, or we're infrequent flyers, or Duncan Taylor, or, or, or whomever, you're viewed as, that is an independent bottler. But more than once, we've been referred to as a club, as a society, as what have you, and that's not, that's not the case. And so, when this generic term of hobbyist is used, it makes me think of, of store picks, of which I have plenty. I've got yes, you do, yes, plenty, you do. and they're all wonderful. <laughs> and I'm and I'm not and not, I'm not trying to say bad things about them, but if you think about store picks, they are always bottled by the distillery for the store for the group for the individual, that's a bottled for, where we as an independent bottler are a bottled by. And that's a very clear distinction from that because it's also in our own livery. It's in our bottle, it's under our own label, etc. cetera. And so when I hear this term hobbyist, that again, getting back to that 50,000 feet away is a type of term that that can mean many different things To many different people, I like to get to that specificity where from a consumer standpoint, I am a hobbyist. I own hundreds of bottles of whiskey. I'm not going to give the number, but it's more than hundreds of bottles of whiskey. (laughs) And I approach it because I'm passionate, because I love it, and because it it is a hobby to me. It's one of those passionate hobbies. But when it comes to the business side of things... It is a business. And so I just am a fan of that clear and clean delineation. And so when I hear the term hobbyist, when it is imbued upon you and me, I pause a bit and I say, oh, wait a second. Are you just talking about the the stuff that I own and that I buy because I'm a fan? Okay, that makes (laughs) sense. You're talking about the stuff that I bought all along with Jason, the stuff that we're finishing with Jess and with Elijah. And because we're a business that is worldwide, no, 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 that's not a hobby. This is something that feeds my children. This is something that feeds Jason's children, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just really like that delineation. And so when I hear the word hobbyist, it just sets me off a bit. Just like Scott's it, like it sets you're saying, me off
1: a bit. It sounds like you're saying it's our word and we get to use it towards one another, but we don't like it when other people
0: use it at us. That is 100% correct. Me and Yoni can hang out and call one another heeb. You call me a heeb, I'm going to have a problem with you, sir. <laughs> is, that, is that true? I call you a heeb all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess I guess that's, a, that's an interesting way to put it, Jason.
1: Man, I, I'm just laughing because... I used to think I was the uptight one. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how are we going to... Uh, so first of all, you should tell people how to contact us. But then how are we going to clank our Hikaris to get
0: out of here? So, for, so first and foremost, I need to pour one last um, mezcal into my glass. So I'm going to do that just now. Not a glass. That's a good point. You talk about,
1: talk about things that you and Haida say around your house. Ours ours is from the good place. Um, <laughs> when Janet says, not a girl, we yes. say that around our house a lot. And so when you say, I just got to pour a little more mezcal into this glass, not a glass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> into this Ikara. So this is another clande, by the way. And this is an Ensemble. And it's um, Agave Angusto. Folia. Mm-hmm. And folia and that's all it says it is but I, I thought that this was a mix of sotol and agave I could be wrong anyway if you want to get in touch with us like the good Ian Bruce did uh, Bruce right, you could do what he did you could just go to facebook.com and uh, just search for One Nation Under Whiskey you could send us a message that way uh, if you want to email us, we are questions at onenationunderwhiskey You could always tweet at us, though no one seems to really do that these days, which I'm kind of happy with because I hate Twitter. But if you if you're one of them, oh, it's coming! Yeah, it's coming back. It's no, coming back. Is it? Um, you can uh, reach out to us. We are at One Nation Whiskey, and then finally, uh, if you're on the Instagrams, we are at One Nation Under Whiskey. So. So if you want to reach out to us, and I hope you do, you could reach out to us in that way. And then also, if you, if you like the podcast and you want to give us a review, please do that through Apple Podcasts. We, we like our five-star reviews. We'll take a four-star review. And if you have anything below that, feel free to email us. Again, questions at one Um, Did I leave anything out, Jason?
1: Not to my reckoning. I think mm. you, you covered it. I was just sitting here as you were naming all of these ways to get in contact with us. The folks from down there mm. are becoming some of our most voracious, wonderful, active fans, followers, we're getting friends. getting such a
0: listenership from down there, uh, TM, trademarked, uh, oh, which has been funny. down
1: there is blowing up. I'm I'm in I'm in love it, with our is friends down it blowing down, down, down there. or
0: is it blowing up? I
1: think well, it, it has down. to blow up, right? Because they're in the southern hemisphere, so it has to blow up to get to us in the northern hemisphere. You're if it blows heat down, rising. they're going to get to a planet.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: I don't know how gravity works. I think about gra- uh, <laughs> hashtag real talk. I think about gravity every single day. It amazes me that our friends down there. When the leaves fall from their trees, they fall in the opposite direction from the leaves
0: on our trees. Uh, you're, you're hurting my head. This because of the centrifugal force of our discs. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Gra-
1: gravity. <laughs> <laughs> it's been described for the last two hundred and fifty fucking years. But yeah, but it's right, different because it doesn't we make recently found
0: out, as you know, that the world is flat. So it's it's this. Uh,
1: don't be a bad American. You're a good American. Continue to be a good American. Let's say positive things about vaccines. Get yourself vaccinated. We're all friends here. Let's get out of this alive. All right. Spoiler alert: nobody gets out of this alive.
0: But isn't the support from down there absolutely phenomenal? It's it's really been wonderful, and and interestingly enough, it, it's not just from native down thereers. But also from expat down there, is like like mm-hmm. our friend uh, Colin Mayers, the pluralized That's it. Colin Mair, yep. S- Farmer Glaswegian yeah. Cameron talked about his his grandfather coming
1: from Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. So ah, it's brilliant, really, really brilliant. I I'm 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 sad that you're all so far away. I wish we could just
0: come and see you so very easily, but we will one day. There will come a day. One of these days. All right, Jason. It's time to uh, to make like a, a fetus and head out.
1: I'm gonna grab my bone dry hikari, which has
0: Hikara, drunk as much mezcal Hikara, as me. Hikara. Wait, what did I say? He said hikari, which sounds like, like some sort of drug that helps to take you away. Take me away, hikari.
1: Hikari just sounds Japanese to me, so it makes sense. I ended up at hikari. Yeah, Let drinking, me drinking, drinking Mexican myself spirits with, this hikari. with a
0: Japanese uh, v- drinking yes. vessel.
1: I love it. Cheers. David Feldner, you're a mensch. Much appreciated.
0: Let's make a sound. Let's make a sound. Let's see if it works. You ready? Here we go. You can't really clink a hikara. It just kind of does a tap tap. Oh, wait, See, if ready?
1: we had two, though, we could make horse hoof noises. You ready? Here we go. You ready?
0: Or you could do this. You ready? How's this?
1: Oh, Morse code. Yep. SOS. Ship at sea. No, I'm on YYZ,
0: the way. Jason. It's a Rush song. Learn it. Love it. Know it. Live it. <laughs> Rush fans are loving this. <laughs> cheers, Jason. And cheers, listeners. Cheers, Joshy. Later,
1: skater.